Happy Spooktober, everybody. This is Not A Bomb Podcast, the podcast where we go back and talk about movies that bomb theatrically or didn't just, you know, jive with the critics. Brad, this is the last of our Spooktober episodes. It's kind of, I'm kind of sad. I am too. I, I was going to give you the silent treatment the whole podcast for the whole Munsters incidents, but that doesn't make for very good You're uh, still radio, not over that, huh? No. I'm uh, never going to be over that. Uh, but yeah, here we are. The last uh, episode of Spooktober. We are doing Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Yes. 1990. Uh, this is... So when, when we started talking about this um, and, and started doing movies for October... We came up with the idea that we wanted to do sequels that had bombed, and and this was pretty tough endeavor. And we have a lot of you to thank for ideas, but we also um, wanted one of our uh, favorite hosts, uh, co-hosts, part of the family, to do a pick as well. And um, Sammy from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. How you doing, Sammy? By the way, I'm doing good. This, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. We we gave you a list of them, and this is one of the ones that you picked, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm a big fan of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. Um, they're they're not all as bad as everybody thinks they are, uh, but they're they're not all great either. But yeah, I, I enjoy you know I I enjoy the series, and I just wanted to come on for something. I feel like I talked about The Exorcist enough, and Amityville I talked about in the past. So this is another opportunity to talk about uh, one that I think. Uh, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give anything away. Okay. Well, before we talk about this, I mean, we spent the whole month just, I I guess, tackling some pretty big franchises outside of, uh, American Werewolf in London, which really, you know, had two films, right. And we talked about the second one. We are known, especially for this month for, for going through and diving into franchises and trying to get through them now. I think it was last year, Sammy, you tried to, or no, you did. You watched all the Saw films, right? Except for the very last one? Yeah, except for Spiral. Spiral, okay. I have not seen Spiral yet. You I don't could, know if you I can. Could, you couldn't make know. it. To, you went like, you ran the 26 miles in a marathon, but just couldn't get that point to. Like, you're no, like, I, just, I, I'm up, I see the finish line. I just yeah. can't do it. I just couldn't do it. I think the year before, I did all the Texas Chainsaw Massacre films because oh. they're. There's quite a few newer Texas Chainsaw Massacre films. There are. It surprises me how many sequels there were, you know, to this whole thing. Um, I, just a quick question for you guys: Did did you tap into any franchises this season, Brad? Did you start something, or did you finish it? Or, I mean, are we calling the new Halloween trilogy a franchise in its own? Because I, I did well, that. I, I was thinking, like, did you try and go back and start with one and get through? you know, 17 of them in a month or something. Of that no, nature. no, I, I didn't because uh, sometimes right now with my kids, it's movie watching is, is hit and miss sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to commit to like, Oh, I'm going to watch this whole series in this October. Cause I know uh, ultimately I, I won't get it done. So I, I'm usually just a one-off kind of person. And I, and I, I stick to the, my old favorite classics and then I'll, I'll sprinkle in some new stuff. Uh, but I'm I'm not really a series person right now because I just don't have the time. But I would like to tackle some stuff. We've talked about things uh, behind the scenes that maybe we'll do later on. Um, but uh, ironically, when Nate was on here, he was talking about Puppet Master, and uh, I was laying around one day by myself, and I threw on the first one and the second one, and I'm like, oh, these aren't as bad as I remember. And then, of course, you remember that they keep going forever and 
at some point in time, they start making them for like four bucks and they don't look very good. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, what about, what about you, Sammy? Did you, did you try and do another run this Halloween season? You know, this one I did not. I, I've been busy with other things and uh, craziness, and I'm traveling this week. I'm coming up to see you know you and and friends, and uh, I just did not. I have watched some horror films. You know, I watched X, and I watched one on Shutter the other night called Speak No Evil that uh, you know really ripped me apart in a lot of ways. And uh, yeah, I have a hard time recommending that to people, but no franchises. Uh, no, not this year. Okay. I, I started with Cameron, the Friday the 13th series, because mm. I think he'd only seen, you know, one of them, the very first one. Yeah. And, and we got to four because scheduling is really tough. So we have like, what, 10 more to go? I don't know. I think there's 13 of them total, right? Does that sound right? <laughs> I think so. if, you can, if you think if you count Jason versus Freddy, I think that's, you know, he got that. So. Okay. I'm trying to think of that box that I have, how many discs are in there, and I can't remember. Yeah. You got I, the, the, the attempted reboot as well. Yeah, we're. I don't think we'll make it by October thirty first. Obviously, we'll be watching other films, but but I gotta say I've enjoyed the first four, um, and it's a series that I I think as I revisit, I've come to appreciate. And then the other one I I started to go through because uh, there's nine of them, which kind of surprised me. And I I have the first five, but it was the uh, Tome series by which which is kind of based on a um, Junji Ito graphic novel so it's you know japanese horror j horror uh and i forgot how freaky those were it's it's a lot of fun for the record i was going to tackle one this october but it's kind of a behind the scenes conversation we've had so oh yeah i I think we're still going to do that um we just got we got squeeze time in i i don't know what you guys think about horror franchises in general i mean we spent this month kind of talking about them but um thank goodness for all i gotta say is thank goodness for shutter I, I know they're putting <laughs> franchises out like, you know, they're, I think they just released another VHS 99 mm-hmm, or something yeah. of that nature. Uh-huh. But it, it really does feel like horror movies that are coming out now, unless it's in the James Wan universe or it's attached to um, a franchise that's out there, it, it's few and far between on the independent um, non-franchise type horror film. That's why I get excited about stuff like Barbarian, Smile, et cetera. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I don't know what you guys think. It feels like the the really cool finds within horror today are on channels like Shudder. Uh, and I've been more impressed with the non-franchise stuff of late versus the stuff that has, you know, part seven, eight, nine. I, I don't know what your guys is feeling on this stuff. No, I agree 100 percent. The the stuff that's more one off, the A24 stuff, the Shudder stuff, a lot of the independent horror has really kept my faith in the genre um going forward a lot of it has um really been like excellent to the point where you're like this is like not only good horror but just a good movie yeah um yeah like x i like x a lot but yeah it's it's kind of surprising how horror always seems to you, you, you invest a little bit of money and it, and it makes a lot like all the time. Like we, when we were putting this list together for this month, it was almost impossible to find four movies that were like a sequel to a franchise that didn't make money. And so it, it I, I understand why studios do it, but I'm glad that we are getting away from franchise town because I like seeing new and fresh stuff. Um, you know, say what you will about like, Nope, but at least it's something different. Um, 
So yeah, eh, I, it's sort I'm of like, different. Yeah, most of it's but, different, except the last yeah. third's not different at all. But go ahead. Okay, okay, but you, you know, it, it's it's not called whatever, you yeah. know. So, yeah. um, I'm really been impressed with the horror genre. To be perfectly honest with you, as someone who's loved it for such a long time, we went through a weird phase where I was kind of like, I don't know if I like horror as much anymore because like we're going down this torture porn avenue, and I'm just not digging that as much and then we came out of it with like this heightened horror stuff and i've really been really really enjoying that so i'm liking this wave that we're on yeah i agree what's your thoughts sammy i I know i know you like the big franchise the halloween ends film a lot but overall um where do you land on like horror uh in 2022 well i i do i think there's a lot of new young fresh voices out there and, uh, you know, you bring up Shudder, and I can't say enough, uh, Shudder has done a really, really good job this year in particular of kind of curating these new releases they're putting out. Uh, they just put out Dario Argento's new film yeah, uh, this week, or last week, however you want to look at it. Speak No Evil film I talked about, that's a Danish horror film. Um, Mad God, which is one of my favorite films of the year so far. That was a Phil Tippett film. I mean, there's just been a lot of great stuff on there, and i am been continually impressed with uh, the kind of quality of the stuff on there. I mean, everything that I've watched on Shutter this year has been good to great. So that's saying something. I mean, I can't say that for Netflix, and I can't say that for Amazon. Uh, and I don't mean to be the streaming the streaming demon here, but, uh, you know, I mean, that the, I'm just glad that there's somebody curating this stuff and putting it out. I mean, there was a time when you would not, see a danish horror film in america and you would have to order uh from overseas and you'd have to get word of mouth and all that kind of stuff and uh shutters kind of you know doing the lord's work as we like to say over at our show and getting these things out there and getting in front of people's faces and stuff and i think that's i think that's very important uh you know of course i hope they put it out and they will some of their films i know they're going to release on physical media but i believe speak no evil is one of them actually but well, uh, the well, uh, Mad God is coming out, I think, in December on Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't recommend that one enough, especially if you like animation. I, I, I think it's funny because you're you're absolutely right. When you when you actually take a step back and go international horror, who who's pushing that out on a consistent basis? It is Shutter right now, probably more so than anybody. Yeah, right now I think pound for pound, and they don't put out as much stuff as the other ones, but. I mean, at this point, Netflix and Amazon are just like dumping so much stuff that I, I can't even keep up. Yeah. Like yeah. I've given I've given up. <laughs> I'm just gonna watch whatever's on I see that looks interesting. And then when somebody says, Oh, you know that one show? It was really good six years ago. I'm like, okay, I'll go watch that now. <laughs> I'm I'm just not uh I just can't keep up with these uh these uh streaming services. I mean, they're just doing but Shutter's got a pretty nice model. They put out about a film a week and Yeah. It's a pretty good model. At least it makes it a little bit more watchable. I don't see them all, but I see a good chunk of them. I, I think what we're saying is, if you like horror films and you don't have a Shutter subscription, you need to correct that. Probably more than anything. Yeah, I I might watch Shutter the most. I I know I do. I certainly do. Because even even the old stuff that they carry on there, they've got a pretty yeah. deep catalog. Yeah, no, no. There's good stuff on there. There's good Italian stuff on there. There's good um, uh, classics on there. I think Halloween's on there. And- mm-hmm. Uh, a few other films that uh, you can't go wrong with, but yeah, no, it's it's a it's a really good service, and um, yeah, I don't want to be the guy. Like I said, I don't want to be the streaming demon here, the man uh, that the streams everything. <laughs> but uh, it is really convenient. 
and it's great to have a service like them. I I, I was I was slow to shutter for the record. I at first I thought they were kind of yeah stuff wasn't that interesting, but it was around the Mandy release that I was like, oh, okay, they're going for something different here. They're trying to release. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I I want to say it's that film. I I've always had a I think I've always had a subscription since they started, but it was around Mandy where I just kind of realized where it's like I'm watching stuff off of them uh, more than anybody else, even Criterion and stuff like that. So. Mandy in that French film Revenge. Did you see that film? No, it's sitting in my queue because <laughs> we my, need to watch them. We, Maybe, okay. we might make that happen this week. Okay, that works. Rubbing it, rubbing it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's bring it on home for October. Talk Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw oh. Massacre Three. This is kind of Sammy's pick. Um, Brad, this one was one of the few out of this entire uh, series that bombed financially and critically, I think. So take us back when this was released and tell us how well this thing did when it was, um, when it opened in theaters. Yeah. So release July 12th, 1990, I believe this is the second or third film that we've done that has been released in January of the, uh, so the beginning of the year, which typically is a dumping ground, but um Budget on this one was a little hard to pin down. I saw anywhere from about four to three million or two to three million dollars. Um, so I'll go with somewhere in there with the estimates. Um, its total box office gross was five point seven million dollars. So slight bomb, if you will, with marketing and all that stuff. Um, yeah, maybe maybe broke even or whatever. maybe broke even. Yeah, but you don't you don't make movies to break even. So. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I said, it was released um, January 12th. So that weekend it came in, what was that? Uh, 11th place. Oh, yeah. So we have films like Born on the Fourth of July, The War of the Roses, Tango and Cash, Internal Affairs, Always, The Little Mermaid, Steel Magnolias, Glory, Back to the Future Part Two, Driving Miss Daisy. That's a banger hell of after a banger. lineup. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw a lot of movies that month. I saw all of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesus. I saw. Yeah, that I saw was, a few of those. A I, couple of how times. How did I go to the movies that much? How How is that possible to go to the movies that much? Mm, let me see. I well, didn't have so, children. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. I would well, go was, to and just be dropped off. It'd be, it was like a babysitter. Yeah, <laughs> it was a lot of holdovers from the year before, right? So stuff that came out. Yeah, um, there's some. Uh, there's Oscar. There's Oscar stuff there. Yep. Yeah, Tangling Cash. You know. Academy Award yeah. winning film. Exactly. Um, all right. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Gentlemen, we are looking at 13% uh, with the critics and 31% with the audience. Um, okay. We. I don't know if we have a first because I think True Romance had this clause in it as well. But Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 on Movie Guide. And for those who don't know, Movie Guide is the Christian website that reviews films for the contents. And this one sits at a minus four. Oh, wow. yeah, I can see that. I could, I could see that. Yeah, doesn't surprise me. And Although, if we, if we were guessing, I would have said minus three and still been wrong. I don't know, I don't know if there's very much religious anything in this, but well, I guess there is some false worship of a false god. Well, there there is a pagan worldview in this film. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <guess> but so. <laughs> the listen to this. Okay, more detail. <clears throat> Leatherface in this third installment opens the movie by slogging the hopeless sister of his first victim in the head with a sledgehammer. 
Then he proceeds to take the skin from her face, cutting and weaving it into a mask that he can wear. Yeah, yeah. As the picture continues to go downhill, several more Lone Star State loonies are introduced who run a gas station. Lone Star. Frankly, hold on. Lone yeah. Star State loonies. Yes. That's my new favorite yes. phrase. Okay. We, we yep. apologize to any of our Texas listeners yeah. tonight. Yeah, sorry, That Josh. was not me. That's movie guy. <laughs> Frankly, one wonders if there are statutes or laws against defaming the name of characters of Texas with such trash as this. In fact, movie guide won't waste your time or our space with any further review except to say that this film uh, that the filmmakers who use children to depict graphic and nauseating violence should take a hard look in the mirror each morning so they refuse to review it after seeing the first bit of the film but they did review it they gave it a negative four yeah but they just assumed i guess because it's negative four but it says language none violence none sex none nudity none so they were just like no it's a minus four if we can't get through it it's a minus four. Oh, okay mm, huh um yeah so kind of crazy um to be honest with you that movie guide would defame such a great uh ranking system that they have to not finish the review um so <clears throat> films that you could see January of 1990, we have Henry pa- uh, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Uh, you weren't going to see that in the States. No, we, you were not. Uh, <laughs> Internal Affairs, Ski Patrol. Oh, oh yeah. There you go. Brain Dead, <laughs> Tremors. You can, you can see Ski Patrol, but you can't see Henry. Yep. Yep. Okay. And I have one more gift for us, gentlemen. I looked at five-star reviews on Amazon. Oh, boy. And I found this gym. It's titled "Weak Life for Le- Sorry, Weak Heart for Life," and this is all caps. And okay. hold on, so this I'm, is a five star review. Five star review. Okay. <clears throat> I won't read it all, but here is uh, the people giving Texas Chainsaw Massacre five stars on Amazon. Oh, all caps. Ready? Yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 was released originally in 1990, if my memory serves me correctly. Four years after Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 was released, two being my favorite of the series. Now, if my memory serves me correctly, when Part 3 was originally set to be released, there were a lot of problems with the rating board, so the director had to keep going back and recutting the film in order to get it down to an R rating because of the blood and violence. Now, Part 3 is a departure from 2, Part two was more of a dark comedy and Mark three is much more gruesome and violent. A lot of questions are left unanswered as such at the end of part two, Leatherface, Leatherface's entire family is killed or blown up by a grenade. Even the character of grandma, Gra- oh, sorry, grandpa. However, in part three, grandpa and Leatherface are alive and living with their mother, a sister, two or three other older brothers. The film never explains how Leatherface came to be with them. So this guy has a problem with the uh, way this movie was the continuity, uh, apparently. Yes. Yeah. Uh, good addition to the series. The fourth film would not be released within until 1995. So there would be five years between when Leatherface was released and when the 1995 film titled Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation would be released and Leatherface would be with another family. So the film also, which never explains how he comes to life with, them either yeah. there you go yeah all caps no punctuation if my memory serves me correctly <laughs> yeah he uh said that a lot um and that was in he reviewed that september 20th 2019 
So, you know. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. So when, when we talk about the people behind the camera, in front of the camera, to me, some of the names that are going to pop up, I feel like these are two, just really true GGTMC names, um, Sammy. Yeah. Yeah. There are a few in here. I mean, one of the things you can say about this movie, and we'll talk about this as we, as we talk about the film and the franchise, I mean, most of these people that are in this are still working, are still doing things, which I was kind of dumbfounded by when I looked at the history of this thing. No, that's that's actually, <laughs> I think they've had varying degrees of success um, since 1990. There are some interesting names that pop up um, behind the camera and in front of the camera. Yeah, we'll we'll start with director Jeff Burr. Uh, and, and before he made Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre three. Now keep in mind that was 1990. He had done a film and it was this film that got him recognition, um, from new line to direct this one. And I got to tell you, it's probably the most uncomfortable film title I think I've, I've ever seen. And it's also part of a franchise. The yeah. film in question here is stepfather Two: make room for daddy which was, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> and that's not a porno. That's an actual slasher film from 1989. Oh yeah. Any, has anybody, for, has anybody seen uh stepfather to make room for, Daddy? I like the, uh, the stepfather films. I think there's three of them. I like, uh, all three of them. They, okay. uh, they're not as, um, maybe as racy as that title what? suggests they try to put on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think if they would have made them in the seventies, they would have been a totally different type of franchise, but, but they try, they try. It's a ton of Bush. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, and, and here's some other things that Jeff has been uh, associated with after Texas Chainsaw Massacre three. Well, is, one of them, it's funny that one of them's came up already in our conversation today. It, it has. Um, now, a couple of years after he did Pumpkinhead Two Blood Wings, that title's going to pop up a few times. That's also a disgusting title. Yes, um, it sure is. And uh, Brad, you you talked about this already. So he did Puppet Master Four in '93 and Puppet Master Five in '94, uh, and came back to the series in 2018 to do Puppet Master Blitzkrieg Massacre. So he's done three Puppet Master films so far. In 1994, he does Puppet Master 5, the final chapter. And we all know when you call your series the final chapter, it ain't the final chapter. We're not it's falling never the that. final chapter. Yeah. So, yeah. And then he, he comes back to the series uh, many years later. Yep. Here's another interesting name. Uh, David Shaw. So the, he did the screenplay. Now, these are based on characters created by Kim Henkel and Toby Hooper. This guy's filmography is pretty interesting, too. I think he started out doing Freddy's Nightmares, the TV series, wrote an episode for that, had done Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 in 90, follows that up with Critters 3 in 91, Critters 4, another masterpiece, in 92. <laughs> and this one floored me. Yeah, in 1994, one... The Crow. He does the screenplay for The Crow and is currently working on the Creepshow TV series. Yeah, he's a well-known horror writer and journalist. Uh, he used to write for Fangoria. I used to read his panel, his uh, his article, uh, every month. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. Okay. Cool. But yeah, Crow is by far his best output. I would, I would think. Yeah, I'd say it's one of his best. Over Critters three and four. Ooh, well, that's a I debate. Mean, come on now. 
Yeah. I mean, Critters three and four, Brad. Wasn't four. I'm sorry. Yeah. How many critters? How many critters films are there? I, I don't uh, mean to. There's like five, I think. The well, little, they, the critters. Yeah. I think there might be six. I think there might be six of those. Didn't they shoot one that was supposed to be a series, but put it all together for a movie? That might be the sixth one. So it looks like there's five critters attacks. That's the one with yeah. the exclamation point is mm-hmm. uh, was made in July of 19 or 2019. Wow. Oh. Yeah. That guy was reviewing <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 and Critters Attacks was coming out. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Cinematography by James Carter, um, who <laughs> the year that he shot Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, he also shot, uh, and this movie's a personal favorite of mine just because it's, it, it's dumb. It's a very dad joke film, but Spaced Invaders from 1990. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Have you seen Spaced Invaders? Um, I don't know if I have. All, yeah, all the yeah. Martians are have voices off of just famous movie yeah, stars. Jack Nicholson was one of them, right? Yeah. Ah. Yep. I saw uh, that in the movie theater with my little brother. Yeah, we went. Uh, well, we had our mom drop us off, and we went and saw that. Yeah, that's that's one I remember seeing it's in the theater. Guy that sold that your dad sold pot to was he there too? <laughs> no, he wasn't. He <laughs> okay. Was, uh, um, he, he also shot a film which is one of my favorites from the early '90s and. It, I, I would consider it a sort of um, newer uh, classic film noir, but um, Bill Paxton's One False Move in 92 with Billy Bob Thornton, mm. which we got to talk about that sometime, Brad. If you, if you haven't seen that one, that, that is a must watch. Okay. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, the movie was edited by Brent Schoenfeld. Um, he had some interesting films on his uh, resume. Project X from 87. Anybody remember that one with uh, Matthew mm-hmm. Broderick? Okay. Oh, Matthew Broderick. Yeah, he did The Terror Within in 89. And oh, yeah, I remember that. Also, that same year, he was the editor for Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, which will be important here when we talk about production. Is that the uh, Stephen Hopkins one, or is that the Rennie Harlan one? Uh, was Rennie Harlan four? Four. Yeah, I okay. think he was four. So yeah. The guy that did Predator 2, I think, did part five. Yeah, I think you're right. Now, there's some interesting... I don't know what you'd call it, like credits here when you get to like makeup effects, et cetera. But there's one credit that um, it, it actually shows up in the title cards when Leatherface is making his mask um, that, you know, our, our movie guy didn't get through. Mechanical, mechanical effects by Bellissimo Belladarnelli effects. And so apparently if you watch, uh, if you get the Blu-ray or the special edition DVD, they mm-hmm. have some behind the scenes stuff. There were a lot of just a lot of mechanical bodies getting chainsawed in this film. And so this was the production company that put those together. There's a lot of animatronics in here. And then you get some powerhouse people working on the special makeup effects. So it was done by Kurtzman, Nicotero and Berger. So I think we've talked about all three of these at some point within, you know, the, the last couple of years we've done the show. But what that's referencing is Robert Kurtzman, Greg Nicotero which are, are industry leading effects guys as well as Howard Berger. Yeah. And then uh, another interesting credit is the stunt coordinator was Kane Hodder and everybody will know Kane Hodder as Jason Voorhees from part seven, eight, Jason goes to hell, Jason X. And more recently he was Victor Crowley in the hatchet franchise. Yeah. Yeah, he was. 
Also, a uh, trivia note, he plays uh, Leatherface in that uh, fun teaser trailer. That's him. Dressed oh, up. yeah, yeah, Yes, yeah. that's right, yes. Save that. That That's super interesting about that trailer because we, we've been talking about that all month. Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk about the people in front of the camera. And, and Sammy, help me out here because some of these names, I'll be honest with you, there's a couple of names are very familiar. A couple of other faces I feel like I see in everything. And you may know some particular works that they pop up in. But I'm going to start with the final girl, Kate Hodge as Michelle. Her first acting credit, I couldn't find anything about this film, but I thought the I thought the title was interesting, was called Super Christian 2 from 1986. Ironically, a plus four on Rotten Tomatoes. So she has a deviation of eight when it comes to her first film. Rotten second. Tomatoes? So probably or? the great prob- or, uh, movie guide. So movie probably guide. the uh, biggest... Uh, difference between first film and second film in movie guide history i I don't know if that's true but you know whatever she started with a plus four and is now in a negative four super christian too okay um follows that up with an episode of tales from the crypt in the 90s um which is the same year that texas chainsaw comes out the only film i actually remember her from was rapid fire in 1992 which was the brandon lee film that's right she's brandon lee yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember her face from that. Um, mm-hmm. And then she's also in The Hidden Two. And then since then, she's been in lots of television. But Sammy, can, do you know of anything else of of note that she would that we should not know that her I'm from? Really, I'm not that I'm really aware of. I know she's she's continued to be friendly with uh, either William Butler or Jeff Burr, both, and work with them off and on. So um, I don't know of anything else to be honest with you. So I I did a little bit of research on her, and she. She's one of those faces that it's like, I've seen her and stuff, but nothing, maybe a lot of television. I mean, probably Jose would be better for this. Like there's a ton of television. I'm looking through all this now, but film wise, yeah, I don't really know her from uh, a whole lot. Yeah. Rapid fire. I mean the brand, cause I I love that film. That was the one I'm like, Oh, that's the girl from rapid fire outside of that. Nothing. Um, 2013. It looks like she was in a movie called Mount joy. Her character name milf. Oh my God. Good on her. Okay. Nice. The other person we have, which I think um, would be the co-star to Kate, gets a lot of screen time, is one Ken Foray as yeah. Benny. So, I mean, this anybody, guy. Anybody that has any horror fandom in them knows who Ken Foray is. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's one of the icons and of And if horror. you've ever been to a horror hound before, you've, you've <laughs> seen him. You've seen him. Uh, probably most noted for Dawn of the Dead from 78, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I. I can't think of anything else that he would be more known for. Yeah, um, he I, works. He does work with Rob Zombie sometimes. Yeah, he was in the. He was the trucker, right? Yeah, Big yeah. Joe Grizzly. Yeah, I love mean shit. I loved him in From Beyond, uh, the '86 film. Ah, uh, yeah, Bubba Bubba Brownlee. Yes, as he plays in From Beyond. I remember that Bubba Brownlee. Not uh, not a racist thing at all. There, <laughs> he's he's he fantastic that, in that he, film. He was on the blue. I remember when the Blue Thunder TV show came out. I was yeah. like so pumped. And he was on it, and then it went away. <laughs> yeah, very quickly. Uh, we've also got William Butler as Ryan. Now, this guy, oh, my God. Ghoulies 2 in 87, yeah. Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood in 88. Yeah, He's in the Night of the Living Dead remake, Tom Savini's remake. He played Tom in that one. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, he's been in a bunch of junk, but he's also directing a bunch of junk right now, including... Ginger Dead Man 3, Saturday Night Cleaver from 2011. I think he is the creator and director, uh, the the main creator of the Ginger Man, Ginger Dead Man series. Like, I think he wrote the first two and then he directed the third and one. And he directed the third one, yeah. I, so, 
Any, anybody own that trilogy on DVD? No. Are oh. you serious? Yeah, this guy does. <laughs> well, I think I own like Evil Bong. Remember there that you go. movie? <laughs> well, I mean, I think Ginger Dead Man. Doesn't that uh, isn't the Gingerbread Man in that uh, voiced by Gary Busey? Gary Busey did the first one. I can't remember if he did the oh, second or third it. one, but he's he does voices the first one. It's a trip, that, man. That that would be that would be reason enough to own that one. Yes. Uh, I think I bought it. I think I bought it from a horror hound because they were selling it as a three pack, and it was uh, one of those full moon tables, and it was okay. So I don't want the gingerbread, the ginger dead man fans to come at us. It looks like Charles Brand or Band, sorry, Charles Band, Band was the director of the first one. Yeah, William yeah. Butler just wrote the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think he might have been like, like it, it might be his band. his creation. Yes, I uh, kind of like his other creation, the Baby Oopsie. Series. Oh my yeah, god! I, I, I if you guys want to look at some uh, just dreadful uh, DVD or VHS cover, look at that baby oopsie. Cover. Yeah, if uh, if you thought this guy's acting was bad, check out his directing credits. He reminds me of Billy the Blue uh, Mighty Morphin Power Ranger from the first season. He yeah. looks like that guy. <laughs> the blue one, Troy. The we'll, blue. We'll the get blue to Power him. Ranger. He's. Yeah. I, it wasn't a uh, demonic toys film. Remember the demonic toys? Oh that yeah, was a, another full moon series yeah. that they tried to keep going doll man versus the demonic toys with uh tim thomerson right yeah, yeah. <laughs> why do i know this shit like i can't <laughs> we're, we're of that we're of that generation i that, that was struggle stuff with birthdays of of close people but if you're like hey who is in De- demonic toys or doll man or something i'm like oh tim thomerson from transfers yeah i remember that <laughs> rattle that stuff off i mean i gotta set a reminder to wipe my ass <laughs> yeah but i remember the tim thomerson films um tony hudson is sarah uh, lots of television and lots of lifetime Christmas movies recently. So nothing of, of importance there. Here's a name that I think we're all familiar with. Vigo Mortensen as uh-huh. Tex. I, I, I best, best friends with William Butler for a while. Yeah. He's in this. I forgot how much he was. That you've seen his dick before. Oh, no, no. Yeah, that's right. I have seen that. Um, his Several times, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. He started in 84, George Washington miniseries for television, um, was around for Miami Vice in 87, did an episode there. Uh, I think it was the horror movie Prison in 1987, uh-huh. which got him noticed for this one. Randy Harlan. Yep. And uh, I mean, leading up to Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, I mean, the year that TCM three came out in 1990. He was also in Young Guns two and The Reflecting Skin. Is it fair both, to both, say both of those films are good? That uh, those are both those films are good. Young Guns two and Reflecting yeah, Skin. Yeah. Uh, is it fair to say that he really hit notoriety with the mass public with 2001's Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring? Is that the- I, I would I would say so, Troy. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Always safe to say. Yeah, with the mass public, yes. I think uh, there were there were uh, folks uh, like you and I and maybe even Brad who probably were starting to appreciate him he did play i know for me kind of a fun thing he did uh he did play jimmy kowalski in the vanishing point tv movie mm-hmm. which is kind of an interesting thing but uh, he I also, remember from the prophecy he was lucifer yeah yeah he was good in that he played the rock climber guy in daylight the sylvester stallone film mm-hmm. yeah and uh he did some he did some other interesting things um but yeah once lord of the rings hit a uh, total different total different yeah, he, as it, far as he went from character he was in actor the, the to, psycho remake too yeah. yeah, he he went from character actor, kind of somebody that was a strong character actor, to just full front leading man after um, <laughs> full frontal. Yes, he did full frontal leading man, yes. Lord of the Rings. Yes, he did. Well, I mean, he and he and he hooked up with uh, David Cronenberg. Yes, and uh, he's a bit of an artist. He's a bit of a kind of a hippy dippy kind of guy. 
in, in his real life. And, yeah. uh, he's an interesting fella. Really, really good in a movie that I keep asking you guys to talk about called G.I. Jane. Really? It's, listen, isn't it too soon since the Oscar slap? Do we have to like wait a full year before we can talk about that? Uh, maybe. I don't even know. Was it a bomb? I'm pretty sure it was a bomb. Uh, um, I feel like I've done this research a thousand times. God damn it. Is this going to be another biker boys deal? It was a bomb. Uh, well, G.I. Jane's on the <laughs> on the you're table. Coming back, you're, Sammy. you're coming back for yeah. G.I. Jane. Okay. Yeah, well, it's $50 million budget, $48 million gross. Yeah, I, this is the only thing I'll say about G.I. Jane so far. I One of my good friends from Wichita, Kansas, who went into the Marine Corps and came back, and G.I. Jane was going to open that weekend, and he was so excited for it. And um, I, I won't say his name. I'm like, all right, well, let, let's go see this. He's, he's back for the weekend. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm so full jarhead here. He's like, I'm so excited because I just want to watch a woman fail for two hours. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. That wow. was that was it. And then when he saw the film, uh, he didn't like it. So was his name was his name Aragon. <laughs> no, the uh, uh, I, I want to say, though, that Vico's been in two best picture winners, right? Yeah. Uh, one of the Lord of the Rings films and uh, Green, Green Book. Book. Yeah. 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 So Green not Book. every actor that's been in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre film <laughs> can say that. That's true. That's true. Matthew McConaughey, Renee Zellweger. But, but well, maybe it's more than we think. <laughs> but maybe it is. But I, I, but may, I think maybe they've only been in one a piece. That's true. They don't. They don't carry the Vigo Mortis. Well, now no, well, we're, they've won the statuette. I don't think Vigo's ever won a statue. That's true. No, he's not. Yeah. yeah. Well, now we got it. We're talking GI Jane. So it's another biker boys thing. You guys will not be disappointed. I like I said I've only watched it once and it was the theater and it, and it was with probably the most male chauvinist guy I've ever met in my entire life which was an experience <laughs> in and of itself so nice uh, here's a face that you know I was making the comment Sammy like there's some faces that they pop up and you're like dude I, I've seen this guy in everything um, Tom Everett as Alfredo and yeah I, Tom Everett's got kind of a cross-eyed uh, kind of look to him um, you probably know him in uh, a few things a lot of TV Yes, but uh, he was also in. Uh, what, was, what was he in? That Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter. I remember him from he's that. In, he's in that one. He's in prison. Uh, he's still working. He is. Uh, Death yeah, Wish for the Crackdown. Um, yeah, Messenger of Death in Pearl Harbor. Thirteen days. Dances with Wolves. Here, so yeah, wow. so there's two films that j just popped out, um, which was Dances with Wolves. I remember him specifically from that. And also played, from a played, film, uh, played Sergeant Pepper in that. Yeah, uh, and this film, which I don't ask me to explain why I like it so much, I just do. Um, best of the best from 1989 with um, Eric Roberts and James Earl Jones. So one of the ones. Are you ashamed for liking Best of the Best? I, I just look. If you revisit that thing, you're like, what is that? Like, look, it, it's very, it's very earnest, but <laughs> super I, melodramatic. I enjoy it. I bet I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, Mr. Everett from um, probably one of Bronson's last really decent uh, action films, uh, Messenger of Death or whatever. Yeah, in '88. Yeah, he did a yeah. couple of Bronson films. Yeah. Um, we which, also get which is what happens when you kind of get to a certain level at that point in the eighties. Sometimes you just did Bronson films. <laughs> Blamo. That's true. We get uh, Joe Unger as Tinker, another face that I think I've seen way too often. Yeah, he's um, been he's in Roadhouse and a few other things. 
Yeah, pumpkin had two blood wings, which he's you know, from Tennessee, and so his country accent really comes through. Yeah, it does. And well, he's able to play the kind of uh kind of devious redneck really well. Yeah, so this this was an interesting credit. So he's in a film that we raved about um recently. I don't know how recently, but he was the waterfront bartender in 1997's Drive with Mark Dacascus. Now, I don't remember him in that, oddly enough. I saw that, and I was like, wow, I don't remember that at all, but cool. Yeah, and the 4K's out, so folks, you got to buy that. Um, we get Miriam Beard Nethery as Mama, mostly worked in television. Now, she was also in Stepfather to make room for Daddy the year before. Was Texas. she the one making room for Daddy? I don't yeah. know. I don't yeah. know. I'm going to say yeah every time you say that. Uh, the little girl that I think Movie Guide had a problem with, Jennifer Banco. Um, it, I'm seeing a trend here. Friday the 13th part seven, the new blood. She was in that one. Yeah. Um, she's in another film that I bet you we're going to talk about. Uh, 1996's barbed wire. Uh, we, uh, we've got to yes. talk about that. Yeah. The Casablanca remake. And last but not least, R.A. Mihailov as Leatherface. Oh yeah. Was in Transfers 3, 1992 <laughs> with one Tim Thomerson. <laughs> I don't know why I went back to the stepfather. Thanks for that. Um, (laughs) Pumpkin had two blood wings. And here's another fun little credit for him. He was the singing trucker in 1997's Drive. So we have two people from the film Drive. He was also in a movie called License to Drive with the Corys. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. He was the tow truck driver, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. so before we talk about production and development, I, th- I think this is super we should, interesting. We should mention Dwayne Whitaker as well. Very oh. famous character actor. Does a lot of st- uh, horror stuff. But Who is he in? Works with, uh, well, he's been in stuff like From Dust Till Dawn 2, which is the Scott Spiegel film. He's in Pulp Fiction. He played Maynard in Pulp Fiction. Was he oh, the yeah, sheriff right. yeah, yeah, for yeah. the cop? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, bef- before we talk about production and development, I you thought you got to get your QT reference in here, man. We, we don't have any. Well, I guess we did. Did we have a Jackie Chan reference? I don't know if we did. No, not yet. We'll find one. We'll find one. Uh, horror franchises, 1990. So Friday the 13th was on part seven. Jason takes Manhattan. So that came out in 89. Oh, seven is the zombie one. Seven's the zombie one. Yeah. Eight Wait. is the Manhattan, right? Yes. Yep. Jason Take Manhattan is eight. Yes. Oh, what's seven? That's my favorite one. Seven is the telekinetic telekinetic one. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Well, that so that one made money, lots of money. Yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street Five: The Dream Child came out in '89. It made a lot of money. That's not a very good one. Um, Child's Play <laughs> Two came out in 1990. Pretty good. It made a lot of money. Uh, the Exorcist Three came out in 1990. It made money after the international markets kicked in. So it did okay in the U.S., not great. But so, f- you know, I think that one has always struggled because it's it's very much a um, it's very much a thinking man's uh, horror film. That film, there's a lot of exposition in that movie. There is. It's, you could definitely tell that it was directed by a guy who writes novels. That That is true. So yes. it makes total sense that after the success of Nightmare on Elm Street, the franchise, as well as a studio looking at what's going on within the horror industry and all the sequels, that New Line Cinema would come in and say, hey, let's buy the rights to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre from the Canon Group because they had the intention of turning this into a brand new horror franchise series that would run five, six, seven, eight films, very similar to what they had going on with Nightmare on Elm Street 5. And obviously moving Leatherface to the front of the kind of promotional pieces of it, making him 
a Jason or a Freddy or a Michael Myers. Now right. we have Leatherface in ours. Yeah, that's that's a great yeah. point. So Bob Shea had hoped to move the movie or the franchise from the comedic tone of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 into um, more of slasher film territory and get back to its gritty roots. And like you said, Brad, Leatherface became the central portion of how they were going to reinvent the franchise. Did uh, did Cannon produce? Can it Cannon produce the second film? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah. I thought so. I thought yep. so. Uh, and and this is interesting. So the studio fast tracked development and shot a teaser trailer. And you guys had already talked about this. Kane Hodder is Leatherface in the teaser trailer, um, but they had done the trailer and everything else even before a director was hired and filming started. The trailer came first. They were so excited about getting this out the door. So producer Michael DeLuca hired novelist David Cho, who was reworking the studios A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, the dream child at the time, to do this new script. Tom Savini and Pe- Peter Jackson were considered to direct before Jonathan Batool was eventually hired as a director. Batool departed the project for unstated reasons, leading to the studio hiring stepfather to filmmaker Jeff Burr. With production going over schedule, this is where it gets crazy. And, and this is one of those things we've talked about in the past. As soon as you start hearing these stories, you're like, yeah, this thing's mm-hmm. going to struggle when it comes out. But with production going over schedule and over budget, the studio fired Burr one week into production. But with no one else to replace him, they turned around and rehired him after they fired him. Yeah. And, yeah. And during production, a wildfire destroyed several locations, and crew member crew members just were quitting randomly on set. Yeah, filming this was a very troubled shoot. I remember reading about it in Fangoria magazine. They had all kinds of trouble getting this thing made. They did, and and I this this to me is probably the funniest thing about it. Filming supposedly took place less than a mile from Six Flags, leading to <laughs> screaming being heard during certain scenes of the finished film. <laughs> Yeah, if you turn the volume up, I think on the surround sound, you can actually hear people riding the roller coaster. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Well, also, Troy, this this has a dedicated state in the title, right? It is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, where would you film a, a movie that's called Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Brad? California. That's right. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in fairness, some of California does look like Texas. A little bit. Uh, Sami, there's no, there's not a swamp in Texas next to the desert. So uh, that, that probably, yeah, there might not be. Like, oh, I would think Houston might have some swampy areas, but maybe I'm but wrong. Not next to like a barren desert. There is That's a Six well, Flags true. in Texas. They could have filmed next to that sure. Six Flags. Yeah, that is true. You, get, you, you can't get into horror geographic stuff, though, uh, because it just gets a little weird. You just... Yeah. You know, talk about, like, hey, we, we need we need quicksand. It turns into the bayou there for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah like we about have no the, uh, rain, but we got quicksand in the middle of the desert. You, you, yeah, you you can't get particular about these things because then you'll start talking about the palm trees and Halloween and going. There's no palm yeah. trees in Haddonfield, Illinois. <laughs> did did no. you guys like? Did movies like prep you guys for fearing about quicksand growing up? I yes. had an irrational fear that one day I was just going to walk in someone's yard and quicksand was going to eat me up and I was going to die because it just happens in movies. And I was like, Quick, oh, quicksand was a huge part of pop culture as far as TV went and movies in the 70s and 80s. Yes. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Gr- yeah. Growing up in Kansas, I wasn't too worried. So mm-hmm. <laughs> more of a tornado thing. Yeah. Was, strong wind. Strong Kentucky, wind. Us, us Kentucky guys. Yes. Quicksand is a, I mean, it's usually mud, but, uh, It'll get you. It'll get you. You get stuck in mud and you start to struggle. 
It, it'll take you. There you go. Uh, the only thing that this thing here, outs- here lies Sammy. The mud got him <laughs> in the mud. Outside of the trouble, the mud got him. <laughs> Outside oh, of the junior troubled production. The other thing that this got some notoriety for was its rating. So the film gained, um, I, I guess, an X rating from the MPAA on its initial cut because of yeah. its graphic violence. It was the final film to receive this rating before the MPAA replaced X with NC-17. So this was the last film to get the X rating that was a sort of a traditional theatrical release. Right. The studio eventually relented and trimmed the more graphic elements. Burr said that the film's negatives themselves were cut to maintain the film's release deadline. The film was rejected by the British Board of Film Classification upon submission for a theatrical release in 1990. And the trimmed version gained an 18 certificate when it was released on video in 2004. And I think it came down to a total of four minutes and 18 seconds were eventually cut in order to get the R rating for the MPAA approval. And this thing's already at a, how did you describe it, Sammy? A crisp 85 minutes? <laughs> well, I think it's only 80 minutes. Uh, if you got, if you did see the 85 minute, you might've seen the director's cut or what's yeah. left. Yeah, I think um, I think the Blu-ray that Warner Archive puts out now is the unrated cut. It's the unrated, yeah. yep. That's 85 minutes. I think the regular cut that was released is 80 minutes. So if you watch it on Tubi or something, I think it's 80 minutes. Yeah, because I, I kind of looked at both, and I think it's like one hour, 20 minutes, and 54 seconds. So, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a, a short uh, film. I, this thing was sent to the – did you say that? It was sent to the MPA 11 times? Oh, no, I didn't know that. 11 times? 11 times. So I remember reading about this in Fangoria because David Shaw, he wrote for that and he was complaining about how the MPAA is a bunch of bureaucratic fools and all this kind of stuff and uh, that they had to keep sending this film back in and in and in and they were cutting like seconds out and they were like, oh, it's getting better, but we aren't quite there yet. Wow. It took 11 turns through the MPAA to get to our. That's crazy to me. And some of the stuff that got cut because they were using the original negative and stuff was lost forever. So you'll yeah. never see a full-on Jeff Burr part three of this. Oh, I'm I'm sad. <laughs> not really. Are um, you? I mean, I mean, I, I'm not. I mean, I'm not sad, but uh, I'm always sad when somebody doesn't get to, you know, doesn't get to release the film they want to make. <sighs> Yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I mean, I, I, I don't. I, I mean, that stuff. The, the stuff is lost forever. So the like yeah. the the what's it called uh, when you keep something? Not retention, but God, it's whatever it's called. I don't know. I hoarding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do, Sammy. Oh no. Um, no, I, I, I get it. Talking. I totally understand. Like we we live in a very uh, privileged age of being movie yeah. fans because we can see any version we want to. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would he, I would like to see it. I don't know if I I would own it, but I would like to see what he had in mind. No, no, I get that. I mean, I was I was I I love the fact that you can get a Hong Kong film, you know, with Yoon Biao and Cynthia Rothrock above the law and go. Hey, I, I want to see a random uh, version of it because there's four different endings or four different ways it could end, and yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy the stuff that we get today. So, I w- I'm always interested in what the original vision is, but what I find interesting about films and, and what I always like about talking about it from a hobby perspective is it really is a, a communal piece of art. So between your producer, director, screenwriter, editor, acting, I mean, there's so many choices being made at any given time. Um, 
I mean, is any film really the sole vision of anybody at the end of the day? Well, no, no, it's not. Um, but I think, um, you know, a director and an editor have, have an opportunity to get it out in its, its rawest form. Now that doesn't mean that it's always the right form. I right. agree with you. Uh, sometimes actually producers and, and, uh, other people actually do make films better. Um, and longer does not mean better. <laughs> right. No, I agree with that. <laughs> That's what I tell everybody. <laughs> That's what I've been telling everybody for years. That's right. Uh, it's how you use it, man. That's um, right. Um, Let me be a stepfather. <laughs> Make room for daddy. Uh, <laughs> my God. Anyway, uh, but I mean, I just wish that, you know, I wish we could see, I, I, I guess, I, I guess, I probably shouldn't say, I mean, I guess it's just a morbid curiosity of being a huge film buff like I am. Yeah. Like, you know, I want to see Orson Welles' Magnificent Ambersons cut. I want to see that, right? I probably never will, but I keep hoping one day somebody will find it. But you're you're also the individual, and we talked about this many times. Not to compare this with Magnificent Ambersons. <laughs> no. <laughs> However, you, you've said this on several occasions. The thing that sometimes will put you over the edge to buy any film is the commentary tracks, right? Yeah, so I'm I'm you know I'm a frustrated filmmaker. I didn't get to make movies. I didn't follow that path. I, I regret it sometimes, but it is what it is, and I have a good life, and I can't complain. But um, I am an extremely passionate film fan to the point to where I love listening to people talk about making movies. I will eat that shit up all yep. day long. Yeah, make room for Sammy <laughs> on that commentary. <laughs> But I do love commentary tracks. Uh, I fell in love with them in the Laserdisc days, and uh, they just hypnotize me. I love to listen to people talk about what they're going for, what they were trying to achieve, what they were up against. And uh, this one actually, if I remember, it has a pretty good commentary track. This uh, film does. Yeah, it's. I, I don't. Uh, I don't own the disc. Actually, I thought I did. I don't own it. Okay. Well, on the Laserdisc. How about this? We'll take a quick break, play a couple of old timey commercials, and when we come back, I. I kind of want to get into the franchise as a whole, this Texas Chainsaw Massacre thing, uh, massacre thing, and then and then spend a little time on on this third installment. So we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we're we're gonna dive right into this thing. It's intermission, rise and stretch time. Time to refresh yourself and visit our snack bar. Got a yen for hot popcorn? Your favorite soft drinks are sparkling cold. The juicy Frank sizzling hot. There's delicious coffee freshly brewed and all kinds of ice cream and candy to tempt you. Showtime will be announced loud and clear to get you back to your car in time. So stretch your legs. Come to the snack bar now. From the creative genius of Roger Corman, who brought to the screen Edgar Allan Poe's most shocking horror tales, comes the ultimate in blood-chilling screen experiences, The Terror, starring the incomparable Boris Karloff. You think I'm mad, don't you? In the role he was born to play, The Terror, bedeviled by his own mad, all-consuming passions. With my own hands, I killed her. The Terror. His evil, mystic powers go beyond man's wildest imaginings. If he resists, kill him. American International presents The Terror, starring Boris Karloff, 
Dean of all horror demons in this, his most demanding terrorization, The Terror, a film group production in color and vestoscope. What happened was true. Some of the victims didn't have time to scream. Others weren't as lucky. Now, Bryanston Pictures presents every grisly detail of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in America. And without a doubt, the most realistic shocker ever filmed. Sally, I hear something. Stop! Stop! Even if one of them survives, what will be left after the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent. We're back. Sammy, the, I want to start with you. Uh, you kind of picked this one for us, specifically the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. And I'm, I'm, I'm really curious what you think about this as a whole. Just, uh, well, I mean, uh, so I guess about a year ago, a year and a half ago, Todd and I talked about Texas uh, Chainsaw Massacre 1 and 2. Uh, we revisited those. And we had a really good time with that. Um, I own TCM and uh, many iterations. I don't know how many. That might be up there as much as the original Halloween and Evil Dead 2 with video releases at this point. Um, it's got quite a few. Um, even the uh, $100 laser disc. Do you remember that? Uh, that yeah. Box, that Texas Chainsaw Massacre box set. Uh, anyway, I always liked the idea of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think it's probably the most influential uh, of all slasher material, uh, certainly American slasher material. Uh, the idea of, you know, driving somewhere in the middle of America where nobody, where the cops don't seem like they exist and you get these kind of backwards ass, you know, rednecks and all this chaos and there might be some inbreeding and everything else, a little bit of deliverance flavoring in there, you know, a little bit of that, a little sprinkle of, you know, uh, mutated hillbillies. Mm-hmm. And I've always kind of enjoyed that, not because. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I live in Kentucky either. <laughs> hey now, <laughs> hey oh. Um, but I mean, I I, I just there there. I know from experience that you can get off the beaten path driving in the country, and all of a sudden you're looking around. You're like, where are we? <laughs> and it's and some it's, guys looking at you like you ain't from around here, are you, boy? Yeah, yeah. So that that's the thing, right? You get these people who you don't know where you're at, and they don't know who you are. And you get kind of this natural stranger in a strange land kind of fear. And I think TCM kind of taps into that. Now it takes it all the way to the, to the hilt and it becomes your worst nightmare. But I've always found that setup intriguing and it still works. I think it works. And even in more modern films like wrong turn, which is kind of a Texas chainsaw massacre riff and so many of them. I mean, I, we could probably sit here and name 30 films, uh, 
I mean, I can't right now because my brain's not functioning. Yeah, I think right. a lot of Rob Zombie films are, are influenced yeah. by Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, oh, no. Is it fair to say that that is the film that influences him probably through and through all of his work? It, it is very fair to say that. Yeah. Because the performances in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, if you think about it, are way over the top. Yes. And uh, he seems to be enthralled by that idea of just going as far as you can go and scream acting. If you guys remember the first film and even the oh. second film. Yes. I mean, there's just tons of scream acting, not just screaming. I mean, scream acting. It's just like everybody is yelling everything. It's like the guy that wrote their review through four years ago. <laughs> it's all caps. Yeah, yeah that, that's true. But, you, you can't watch either of those films with, and have a headache because it's just going to make it worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, they, they are an assault on the senses, too, and they're extreme. And what's interesting about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said before here, but it's not really nearly as violent as people think it is. Mm -hmm. It's more of implied violence. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is a little bit more violent and a little bit more gross, but it's also got a lot more commentary to it. It's kind of Toby Hooper kind of having fun, and uh, it's a ridiculous movie all the way through and through. It's totally a ridiculous film, but it, it works because it, it buys into its own ridiculousness and just kind of goes with it, and it gets into, like, the saw is a sexual item and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. This... I like what they wanted to do here. I just don't think because of whatever happened behind the scenes and everything else, they were able to pull off what the teaser trailer pulled off. And it was the idea of this kind of slasher as destiny type of, of idea. And the Leatherface may have been the original slasher and the saw is family. It had that great saying on it and stuff. It's actually, but you get to see that particular saw in this film. Mm -hmm. And I loved all that stuff. I was reading all these articles. I saw the production design. And the production design is still pretty good. It still holds up pretty well, I think. But this movie has been cut to ribbons so much. And it's so bare bones now that you really got to be, honestly, you almost got to be a fan of the series to get any real enjoyment out of this. Because Troy was kind of alluding earlier to this when I said a crisp 80, 85 minutes. His uh, joke there is the crispness of uh, said 80 to 85 minutes. Yeah, you're using that word very loosely. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little bit. There's there's a couple of crisp pieces of lettuce here, but there's a lot of uh, limp lettuce going on here, too. Uh, it's not like stepdad. It doesn't have the blue pill. So, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I was not expecting that. That I almost uh, it, spit water out everywhere. <laughs> but I mean. It's lasting longer than four hours. <laughs> <laughs> Call a doctor. Now the uh, the the basics are all here. The problem is the film, and it's kind of it, for me. This is why I kind of said I I wish I could see the original ideas behind this film and the original cut, because the problem is it seems like they've stripped everything but the essential ideas. Like it, it might be the most beat for beat slasher maybe ever made it's it's like everything you expect to happen happens nothing really surprises you here uh there's no real surprises i guess there's surprises if you've never seen a texas chainsaw massacre film before and you don't know about the the kind of uh you guys spoil things so i can say this but the kind of vigo mortensen kind of turn right mm -hmm. and there are some interesting things here but there's a lot of stuff that's left out like they don't talk anything about vigo's fingernails being painted you guys notice his fingernails are painted yeah i think it was insinuated that like he's gay in this movie or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they don't talk about any of that yeah. stuff. Or uh, it seems like all of that stuff was just completely cut out. 
And it seems like a lot of plot threads were just completely dropped. Now, what I do like this movie for, and I will rep it for, and will say that I enjoy it for, there's not a lot of good, like, Ken Forey as superhero films. And as the, as the, as the tough guy or action films, he's in a lot of those kind of movies and stuff, but he's never really the hero. Right. And I really like him in this movie. He's funny and, and he has good lines. One of my favorite. Say that the test audiences liked him a lot too. <laughs> One of my favorites is, uh, <laughs> haven't you guys ever heard of pizza? Is, uh, I, I don't know why that line makes me laugh every time. <laughs> somebody <laughs> says we're hungry and he's like, have you guys ever heard of pizza? Uh, anyway, um, it's, it's a good chance for him to kind of stand out. And I've, and as of course, as a kid, I loved him in Dawn of the Dead and Knight Riders and some of the Romero stuff. But it was just really nice to kind of see him kind of front and center back before people were even talking about that kind of thing. And I don't think this movie gets enough credit for that. Uh, I'm not going to say this is this is high art. This is not. Uh, if at, at its best, this is high fart. But <laughs> I mean, it's it's not. It's it's really. It's kind of like what I, what I talked about when we we talked about the monsters a little bit. Yeah, uh, I know Troy thinks that's Howard, but we think I do. That, I do. <laughs> but I mean, this is it's kind of right down the middle of the road, and really, my only love for it comes from the love of the franchise. The filmmaking is I can't blame Jeff Burr for it because I feel like it's been cut up so much, and so much has been taken out of it, so I, much that we'll never even know. I have a question about that, so. If there's, let's just say, another 10 or 15 minutes out there that were, were really essential to Jeff Burr's vision, do you think that 10 or 15 minutes would have, I don't know, enhanced it, ex- accentuated the thrills? Did did anything outside of just make it very basic uh, in terms of um, a slasher film? I, I don't know. I, I don't know if they had more original gags planned. I don't know if there was some of that stuff cut out. You know, the K&B is a great FX house. They were a great FX house uh, during the 90s and mm-hmm. the uh, early eight, or late 80s into the 90s. And they were doing a lot of fun stuff, and they had a lot of good gore effects and stuff. And I, I feel like Jeff Burr was leaning into that a little bit here, and maybe there was more of that. But then again, it could have been a double way. It could have been the other thing. It could have been, you know, more character development, and that could have fallen on its face. It could have been... You know, maybe some angles with the Vigo Mortensen character that does explain the nail polish and the apron and everything else. And maybe we didn't want that. Maybe it was terrible. Maybe it was ham handed. It's really just one of those things where I think this is a film of lost opportunity. Uh, and I think that really it was sold so heavily on the idea and the cheesiness of the Excalibur trailer, the teaser, that I think that they didn't, they, they didn't stay beholden to their original idea. And I think that really, you know, it hurts it on a rewatch. I'm not going to lie. Uh, the movie's dark, uh, very dark. And, uh, you mean like lighting wise? Yeah. 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 Like muddy, mm-hmm. uh, anything with a chainsaw is theoretically dark, I guess, if you want to talk about it in that term. But, um, I do like some of the ridiculousness of the movie. The chainsaw in the water is, uh, funny to me. <laughs> I, Floating chainsaw? I do have a question about that and because I'm not the handyman that maybe I portray on social media, but um, does a chainsaw still work when submerged in water? That kind of throws me off. No, no. It, 
No. Oh, okay. It would, it would, I, I it didn't would think bog, so. It would bog down immediately. Yeah. Um, okay. It's using gasoline and stuff. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know. You know, d- physics and stuff. If 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 a it's running and then it can swerve back and forth underwater. I, it just. I mean, it it makes for a fun set piece and a loopy and goofy set piece. I mean, it's not an amazing set piece, but it makes for some interesting things. I liked. I think you know. I think. Um, What's his name? The guy that did Jeepers Creepers. I think he may have stole some ideas from this film. Oh, yeah. With the truck? With the big truck. Yeah. And the, and the skin on the truck and stuff. And there's just, they needed to lean more into the absurdity here. And I think, unfortunately, they backed off of it when they needed it the most. And uh, I don't know if that's Jeff Burr, judging from his filmography. Absurdity seems to be something he's into. Um, uh, for lack of, you know, I, I haven't seen the majority of his stuff and it doesn't look like stuff I want to watch, but it seems like absurdity and dark comedy or something that he's kind of into. And, you know, Toby Hooper really leaned into the absurdity in the second film. I think they probably should have done that, but it's really just a, it's just a mess. And I think the only saving grace of it really for me is Ken Forey and, um, uh, and Vigo Mortensen, who's really good in the film too. We should say that. And, yep. and just the fact that, it's it's uh thankfully uh short and simple um but i can see why it failed it doesn't really feel like a movie in some ways it feels kind of like a whoops we made a texas chainsaw masker film <laughs> i it's it's a movie <laughs> i mean yeah, it's a movie it's a movie I, I like your comment that it feels like it's stripped down to its core elements which i think begs the question that okay if if you're down to the core elements of the film in terms of your characters the the three acts, how it plays out, um, then adding back in any uncut footage, be it character development, gore, et cetera, is it really going to help it if your core just isn't interesting? Mm. That yeah. that would be my question. Like, Because if you told me that there was an extra 15, 20 minutes that they were going to throw back into this thing and uh, they, they found it, right? They're like, oh, well, we, we found this trash can over here. I've been sitting in the corner for 30 years, and we found all these elements. We can put it all back in, and we can give Right Jeff- on top of it was the Magnificent Ambersons, and they were so excited <laughs> for the TCM3. Yeah, and they're like, hey, if you go down a little bit, we got TCM3 <laughs> in here. And so Jeff's like, I'm putting it back together, and and now Shout Factory is going to let me do this special edition and uh, maybe give them you know, a couple million to, to spruce it up or something. Yeah. If the core elements are really on display here, then would anything added to this thing actually make it a good film? Are they going to re-edit it? Uh, again, I, I I beg the question that if your core elements the editing are there, in this movie is atrocious. I think. Well, I think. I think Count how many times Ryan dies in this movie? It's yeah. unbelievable. I think. I think that comes from them messing with the movie so much. But I, I do think if. And this is a big if. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're 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 talking. You know, we're kind of just throwing this out there. We're yeah. speaking kind of hypothetically here. If there was more absurdity and dark humor, I think this movie could be saved. Yes. Okay. All right. What about I think you? there's some of it here. I mean, there's a big piece of skin on the truck. That's ridiculous. And the saw is all gussied up. That's ridiculous. And uh, there's just there's just some ridiculous moments here. And, uh, I, I don't know why they didn't follow through with them. It's like they, it's like, it's like basketball players. They threw the pass, but they just, can't, they can't finish. It's like stepfather too. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> he got in there, but he couldn't finish. How shall you finish? <laughs> okay. Um, 
Brad, I, I guess same question, because I, I don't know where you stand on this franchise. I, I guess sharing your thoughts on that before, uh, yeah, I guess, this third one. I'm, I'm curious yeah. where this this whole thing lands with you. <laughs> it's funny. Have, have, have you seen how, Have you seen them all? I've seen them all, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, Texas Chainsaw was one of the horror movies growing up. You're like, oh, have you seen it? Have you, have you, have you been able to see it? Will your parents let you see it? It, it was one of those. We're in a basement with a bunch of kids. Like, let's let's put it in and you know and make this sure we can turn it this, off really fast. If yeah, if, all the yeah. all this could be innuendo if you listen yeah, to what you're saying. Yeah, it could be. It could be. We're downstairs. Stepfather let's, two. Let's put it in. We'll take it out real quick if anybody sees us. You know, stepfather four. <laughs> Brad's dad comes home. <laughs> Sneaky Pete. Um, <laughs> anyway, but um, actually, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is my wife's favorite horror movie oh oh really um, so we wow. watch it every year um wow, i don't think i i don't think i've ever met a female that likes that film well it, again like you were saying it's got a reputation for being like super violent and super gory and all that it's not it's it's no. really not that bad it's um not. i don't think there's any is there any nudity in the film i don't even think there's any nudity. no there's no nudity i mean and and every year i i watch it and i think i i kind of like it a little less because you're like, oh yeah, a lot of this movie is Franklin, and that's not a good thing. Um, and you're like, oh, people, four people die in this movie really quick, and then it turns into I'm just going to be shouting for 20 minutes, and then I'm going to escape at the end. Yeah. Um, I, I do like it just because of what it means to horror. I think more so than I actually like it. You know, like it's influential on, um. Like I, I don't think I love Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but there's no saying like, oh, you know, he's important to basketball, so you kind of got to like him by default. This one, Texas well, Chainsaw, to me, is kind of like that. You're like, ah, you kind of got to like it because it's important. It's like it's on Mount Rushmore. I, th- I think you've got a valid point here. So there's always been, for me, there's always been this kind of love-hate relationship with Toby Hooper. And uh, I appreciate Texas Chainsaw Massacre more than I love it. I do think it's great, but I think it's because it's an important independent American film. Yes. As important as Easy Rider or something like that. Um, But Toby Hooper, uh, and Troy might disagree with us on this. Uh, I think he might because I think me and Troy may have talked about Toby Hooper at some point in the past. Or we've been in a conversation where Toby Hooper's come up. Anyway, I don't think Toby Hooper is. I, I enjoy some of his 70s films and stuff, but... Man, talk about a filmmaker that falls off a cliff mm. uh, after Poltergeist, which argue, inarguably or arguably he directed it all or, you know, I, I think he directed some of it. I don't think he directed all of it. Um, I just don't think he was ever like the greatest horror film I, maker. I think he just he came upon a property and created something that is just uh, it's just been so influential. It's ridiculous. And we're still feeling it to this day. Yeah. So and then uh, I, they do the horror thing where they make a sequel and then they just turn it into a ridiculous thing and then the family kind of comes forth and all this stuff and I like it for what it is. I don't think it's great. Again, there's a lot of yelling, a lot of yell acting in that. Mm-hmm. And then I remember seeing Next Generation on HBO and thinking it was the most bonkers thing I've ever seen. Yeah, um, I think I might have seen new generation before i saw two or three so you know just when you're a kid the order of stuff that it's supposed to be in is is not really important you're just kind of watching it um 
And then kind of the reboots. I, I think the reboot's actually really good. I, I like it a lot. Um, yeah, it's like the, it's like the new metal. Uh, yeah, it is very, yeah. <laughs> Leatherface is doing it all for the nookie. We understand. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then I, I originally, <laughs> I've gone back on that Netflix one. Like originally I kind of hated it, but there's a scene in that with the bus that I think is probably one of my favorite horror movie scenes. It's the ever. best thing out of that. The, I was that like, movie wow, is, this is awesome. That movie yeah. makes me so angry because of what happens yeah. at a pivotal moment. Yeah. But I really yeah. enjoy really it up until that pivotal moment. It gets real dumb. It gets real yeah. dumb. But well, that's another one. You know, you want to make a movie in Texas and you shoot it in Bulgaria. Yeah. <laughs> but at least it kind of looks like Texas. Anyway, um, I so I, I, yeah, I do like the franchise for the most part. It's really ridiculous. The family aspect of it. Um, every every October, I try to play through a lot of the, the Resident Evil stuff. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Resident Evil 7, but it takes place in like a house and mm-hmm. there's like a family. And it's literally like two. Like it's like two for real. So yeah. it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of cool to see like it influencing horror that I like now. Um, as for this one, boy, um, <laughs> man, it's a crisp 80 minutes. Um, I watched both. You watched um, both? And then you I gave did. me crap over the monsters. Okay, that's <laughs> well, fine. <laughs> because, well, I mean, he, he spent 160 minutes. You spent 100. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Almost and I still up. win. I still win. So, so <laughs> it's funny. That 80-minute cut literally has, like, no gore. Like, they went the yeah. other way. It's not gory at all. There's nothing yeah. in it. It pulls away all the time. Like, yeah. So you're not seeing anything at that point in time. So that the rated R cut is like not worth watching. And I'm not really this guy that's like, yeah, let me see all that gore. Give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> Just, but like, you got to have something if you're, if you're going to, well, call your movie Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But does it? Cause the first one's effective well, without it, it. It doesn't, but this is like not a different time. So we, yeah. we have to see something. Yeah. I mean, I, I can go both ways on that um, because, you know, I I just watched a horror film that hardly has any horror in it, and yet it made me really upset or has any gore in it and made me really upset. And then, you know, we watched something like we watched all together, The Sadness, right, which is yes. all about the gore. That is yeah. the point of yeah. watching The Sadness. And we haven't really talked about it much. I mean, I, I outside of what we did on the Not a Bomb thing, but, I mean, I really enjoyed that. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again, but I had a lot of fun with it because it was just over the top and crazy. Yeah, I mean, it stayed with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it stayed with me, and I had fun with it. And I, I don't know. I don't. I, Troy brings up a valid point. You don't really need it to be effective, but I think this film needed it. It needed something because I, I think the two leads, the two, the boyfriend girlfriend dynamic, where hey, we're breaking up, or we're on a road trip. Like, is there anything worse than like? being with like someone that you're not in a relationship with, with anymore, but you're taking a road trip. Like, yeah, no, no, it's pretty bad. Can, it's pretty bad. Um, and, and so, you know, we get checkups rock in this movie too, which is like, she has to kill the armadillo, but she can't do it with the rock. So at the very end, you know, she's going to be able to do it, uh, to Leatherface. But, you know, I, I think it's just, this movie is like a, just a half baked movie. You can tell it is like, chopped to hell like i said ryan literally dies in this movie like four times um like you'll see him alive in one scene he's dead in the next and then he's alive again and then he's in it's as long as he wasn't talking i was fine with that yeah he could die five times just he's he's, don't open your mouth we're good terrible 
he Count is whining. terrible. Yep. Um, he's. I think Ken Forey he, dies two or three times in the movie too, right? He, yeah. It seems like he gets hit by a truck. Ken Forey. I mean, he, 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 <laughs> yeah. You can't kill well, him. Well, like I was joking earlier to say, like, oh, the test screens really liked him because he was supposed to be dead. Yeah. They showed the test screens. They really liked him. So, like, they were like, now just put a bandaid on the back of your head. You're fine at the end. Yeah, small like, chainsaw gash I in your skull. A chainsaw cutting into your skull might kill you, but I'm yeah. not a doctor. Um, it's just, like I said, it's just a half baked movie, man. Like, it's just not there. Um, and when the best thing you can say about a movie is, well, it's, 80 to 85 minutes that's not a compliment um i just think it's it's kind of sad too because i think there's some stuff in here where like they're trying to have some commentary on people from california looking down like that elite of the coast looking down at kind of the the midwest um of of america that was there but obviously it didn't really pan out um but Outside of Vigo and outside Kim Foray, it's like it's not worth really seeing. Like Leatherface is barely in the movie yeah. until the end. Like that's why I, I I guarantee you they had to go and do that beginning scene because like we don't have Leatherface in this movie for thirty five minutes. That's yeah. a problem. His name comes first. Like this is his supposed like coming out party. Like this is the Leatherface movie. That's why we put his name first. Um, it, it, it's just it doesn't work for me um and i wish i wish it did because i i like this series for the most part it just doesn't it just doesn't do anything like it's so middling it's hard to kind of explain because it just happens like if you've seen the first one beat by beat it kind of follows that this film like this film follows the first one you know you have the the switch where it's like oh What's up with this guy? Um, then we've come upon this. It's like it, 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 it does follow the the template. The, the overarching yeah. is like it's it's kind of that first one. So I think like if this came out today, it would just be called Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and this would be the reboot. They would just kind of follow the first one, but they called this one three. I don't know. I I I, I just have lots of problems with it because it's the execution is is not there to really be a movie. Um, and, and I don't know if that's anyone's to blame for that. Obviously studio wanted it to be released, not NC 17. And so they had to cut it to the point where I think they, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there was ever a good movie here. I don't think there was, but, um, you know, cutting it down to this and, and editing it so poorly doesn't help at all. And then there's Ryan. And Ryan is the worst character I think I've ever seen in my entire life. And <laughs> him dying should have been, uh, you know, lethargic, but it wasn't because, like, you don't really see it. And it's just weird. And I don't know. Vigo, like, when he comes on the screen, you're like, oh, this guy is something. Um, when Kid Frey comes on the screen, you're like, oh, I like this guy. Everything else is kind of blah. And even the lead girl kind of sucks as an actress. Like, even her yelling, it's not very good. And, some of her line delivery, it's like, girl, you're supposed to be scared for your life and you're kind of phoning it in a little bit. So it's just not that good, but it's really, it's really quick. Like it's 80 minutes and you're in and out. So (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't feel like 80 minutes or 85 minutes. Um, I mean, I, I did feel 
Yeah, there were moments where I, it ebbed it ebbed for me more this time around watching it than it probably ever has before. I, I will say I did check the time about because I knew it was short. So I checked uh-huh. the time about 25 minutes in. I was like, oh, shit, we're only 25 minutes in. <laughs> and then when Leatherface kind of shows up, it does kind of pick up pace a little bit. Well, I mean, the so third this- act does go quite a bit because it's the most actiony and stuff happens. So, yeah, there's a. You know, there's a movie we'll be talking about on our show um, next week or sometime when you hear this, probably probably before you hear this, that we watch called Litan. It's a, a French film, and it's all about going. It's propulsive. It just goes, 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 goes. And even then, I'll say this now, but it'll it'll be on the show that I record tomorrow. Even then, it's all about the filmmaking because I got lost often. And I'm like, what's going on now? Why are we doing this? What's going on? So it, it really, filmmaking is such a craft of of knowing when to stop and take a breath and then move, 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 and then stop and take a breath and then move, move, move. But then there's other filmmakers who can sometimes make a film that just goes, right? Yeah. And just never stops. But I would say that's one of the more difficult types of films to make because I've seen very few of those that really work. And I think short films are actually really difficult to make. I, I That's my personal opinion. I think that's why so many films are so long now. I think people don't know how to make short films anymore. Not not shorts as in 10, 15 minute films. Or it's it's funny you say that. I, I agree 100% they, because I, I don't think filmmakers know how to show character development. They can only tell you about character development. Yeah. Which And then they just, they just have big sequences. Everything's just... Okay, we got to have this big sequence, and then we got these moments. I just watched a film like this, Black Adam, right? And it's just, it's big sequence, small moment, big sequence, small moment, big sequence, big sequence, big sequence, small moment, big sequence, big sequence, small moment, big sequence, over. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what it feels like. It just feels like you're getting pounded. These kind of jokes are going to are gonna show up when you see somebody's filmography that stepfather to make room for daddy. So sorry. Sorry, listeners. Yeah. Uh, out, so here's my outside of the first two films. I've never been a big fan of this franchise. I've seen every one of the films and every time they come out, I'm like, I'm going to watch it. And every time I watch a new Texas Chainsaw uh, movie, I'm like, why did I, I, I hate this franchise outside of the first two. Why do I why do I keep doing this? Yeah. Um, uh, so you like the first two. Yeah. Uh, which everybody pretty much likes the first two. Although a lot of people were against the second one and first when it first came out. I, I, um, I always, I've always enjoyed the second one. And I, this, this may be <laughs> to Brad's point, the first one I don't watch on a regular basis because yeah. I know with multiple viewings, it does have diminishing returns. But the yeah. second one with multiple viewings, I think gets better and better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's bonkers. That's it is. The reason why it works. It's so crazy. So, the reboot. How do you feel about the reboot? The I did 90s? enjoy it. Um, I, I think it's very visceral. It, it was it was a chance yeah. when you saw that, and I think Platinum Dunes is the one. Uh, was it Michael mm-hmm. Bay's company? Yeah, that's Michael Bay's production company. Yeah. I, I really kind of had some faith in that. I'm like, well, if this is what they're doing with some of these classic things, it's it's still the first film, but you know, it it feels. It doesn't capture the atmosphere of the first one, but it still delivers some good thrills in it. Yeah, well, it, it's and it misses all, a lot of the nuance too. It, yeah, it's oh, not yeah. nuanced at all. But it it does it for the glossiness and as a 
as a thrill ride, I think it delivers on that. But every, yeah. I still don't think it's it's as good as the first two, and I haven't revisited outside of I think, you know, watching in the theater and then watching it on DVD and never went back to it. Yeah, that reboot exists in movie world, yeah. where lighting, you know, it's music video world really. Yeah, where um, lighting doesn't make sense and everything, and that's what's what's kind of cool about that. But you're right. I'm not gonna. I, I watched all of these not too uh, long, uh, not too long ago, and uh, they they are somewhat painful. Yeah, I, somewhat. honestly, I although think, that that Netflix one, like Brad said, that one, I liked it more than you, Detroit. I know exactly the moment you're talking yeah. about. Anybody that's seen it probably knows the moment he's talking about. But I, I don't know. It, it was short. It was crisp and <laughs> a little crispier than this. And. Uh, <laughs> And it worked. Uh, it's a it's a goofy ass movie, but it it, it works for what it is. See, I, I'm going to disagree on all that because I my problem with the entire franchise is just it's boring as hell. I mean, mm-hmm. it it really comes down to you, you've got two elements. You have a insane slasher who wears people's faces on his face and carries a chainsaw, <laughs> and you have a, a family that just screams and argue. I mean. It, if if you remember Mama's Family, that sort of spin off of the Carol Burnett show, I mean, it's a demented take on Mama's Family, uh, and and that <laughs> stuff just wears on you. Now, here's the thing, though: of all the horror franchises that are out there, I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre could find a good director who looks at this and then says, you know what, I, I want to actually make a horror film with some really good social commentary between the haves and the have-nots. Um, or, or even your red states, blue states, whatever you want to do it. This is a franchise to go and make that film with the right director. And you can make really good transgressive cinema with some very potent social commentary for like 2022. And, uh, it, it, I think everybody would look at that and go, it's scary, not just because of what happens on screen with what they're doing with people. But it's scary because as divisive as a nation we are, you could take that whole concept and really amp it up in this type of environment with this franchise. But you would need a very talented screenwriter and a director to be attracted to that um, and really run with it. Yeah, and I don't know that anybody would because, you know, with the words Texas Chainsaw Massacre on your resume, it kind of pigeonholes you in Hollywood. It, it does. But I, to me, it's like, man, if, if anybody wanted to just really take a gamble on a property and take a horror franchise and say, hey, what what horror franchise could you do in 2022? It really makes some interesting social commentary. Uh, but at the same time, you know, deliver some transgressive horror. Th- this is the one they need to do it to. But the problem is everybody who comes to this, um, I think after the second one comes to it specifically as a well, we got to do a slasher franchise. Uh, which I, I think is a mistake. So, and and because of that, I think the entire franchise is just boring. It's super boring. Yeah, I can't argue against that. I might like them a little bit more uh, than you do. Well, I definitely like them a little bit more than you do. Yeah, probably fall in the ballpark with Brad a little bit. We're probably in the same ballpark. But I, yeah, I think you're right. I think the biggest mistake they ever made with Leatherface was making him a slasher character. I, I agree, and and to me. Um, that's what makes this entry, the third one specifically, really tame. It, it's not the gore. Uh, I, I think it was you said that um, when you were talking about this, hey, look at all these ridiculous things like the skin on the truck and Vigo Mortison's nails. I mean, the guy's running around with an ascot. Um, that's probably the scariest thing in the entire film. 
um, yeah. in that bathroom in the uh, in the gas station. That that was pretty horrible. Oh yeah, with the yeah, peeping tom. Yeah. yeah so the, the the problem is like there's ridiculous things, but there's not uh, a ridiculous performance. There's nothing out here outside of um, you know Ken Foray is good, and I like him in that role. But he has nothing, everything just feels paint by the numbers. And all of the acting and all of the performances, even when they're trying to be you know, crazy, it, it just comes off as super lazy and tired. Like mm-hmm. I get the feeling everybody was just tired. Um, and when you read what was going on behind the scenes and going, wow, everybody's just quitting, I'm sure somebody's getting behind the camera and going, man, when's this gonna be over? Like I really feel, even mm-hmm. when you say Vigo Mortison, oh, there's something about that guy. Every time he's delivering a line, I just I'm looking at his face and I'm just reading off of his face. When is this shoot done? Like when am I done with this film? Everybody yeah. just looks annoyed to be there. Yeah. Um, and you know what? It for that director's cut, I think it has the right amount of gore for a film like this made in the '90s. But it really comes down to the performances. I mean, none of them are strange or scary enough um, to make it interesting. I, 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 again, Viggo Mortensen in the Ascot, great. That's a, that's a weird thing. Painted fingernails is a weird thing, but his performance is not inspired. It's not scary. And and I would actually say he's, he's pretty lazy. Uh, now, uh, no, he, he totally is. He totally is. Especially if you compare him to the first film and uh, what you may call it, uh, Who's that actor? Uh, Bill Mosley in the second film, and then yeah, then you talk about Matthew McConaughey in the uh, New Generation. They're way over the top, right? It is, and and again, I know that me coming to this, I'm probably grading this too harshly because I'm 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 really holding it up against the performances in the first and second one. Say what you will about Franklin. I mean, it he's he's meant to get under your skin, and at the end of the day, the fact that he dies, you're kind of conflicted because you're like that guy was annoying. But, oh, my God, I can't believe he's dead. Well, yeah, yeah, I think you're conflicted because you hate him and yet he's in a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. So uh, you're conflicted from the get-go, right? You're yeah. like, oh, I cannot stand this person, but I can't say that in public. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I think that's, again, I'm I'm with you. We've talked about Toby uh, before, Sammy. You're absolutely right. And I think you and I were talking with somebody who was defending Toby after Poltergeist, and you and I were in the corner going, you're crazy. Like, no, I would. There, there's no person in their right mind should ever. There are. I feel like. There are a lot of people out there that'll talk about. And to me, I'm like, look, Spielberg was always on set for Poltergeist and was. Um, it, I'm sure he was reviewing all of Toby's decisions. And when Spielberg didn't agree, it was a, have you considered this? And it, yeah. and it's sure more hand hand holding going on. Yeah. A lot of it. Yeah. At the very minimum. And I think at the very minimum. I think I think uh, Toby made two good films. That's about it. Even Life Force, that everybody loves Life Force. I'm like, dude, it's got some interesting visuals. Space vampires are cool. It's still boring as hell. Um, yeah, I don't like. I don't really care for Life Force that much either. I think I only really like a, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, Texas Chainsaw, and Eaten Alive, the the alligator movie. Yeah, I, and even it's okay. I just yeah, I, I don't know. And and when when you're not bored in the 85 minutes, you're kind of annoyed. And you're annoyed with Ryan, or is it William Butler uh, as the Ryan character? He's terrible. Um, I couldn't yeah. wait for that guy to get killed so he would stop delivering lines. <laughs> well, he gets killed like three times. So yeah. Okay. Um, the the big catalyst that 
sets all of this off is for them to get on the wrong road, which I'm still confused how they decided to take the the road that the cowboy was on. When it, I mean, anyways, it didn't make any sense to me. The other well, thing, uh, yeah, I mean, they jumped on the road, but you take the road the cowboy said. He, he actually throws that line of dialogue in there, probably ADR'd it in there. Yeah, and you're like, why? You just met the guy, <laughs> and you you thought he was yeah. creepy to begin with, but Dude. well, I mean, again, you can't really, you know. I know it's a it's horror movie. So logic. our lives are basically a 50 50 ch- choice for taking a, this road or this road. And if we take the wrong one, we'll be killed by a chainsaw. Okay. That's good enough. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, the other thing is for 85 minutes, why do I need five minutes of Leatherface learning how to spell off some electronic speaking spell? <laughs> I, I'm, yeah. That, that scene shows up and I'm sitting there watching this now. Mind you, let me let me describe what's going on. I'm going on, you know, uh, I, it's four in the morning. I can't sleep, so I'm like, I'm gonna watch Leatherface. It's me and the dog <laughs> are downstairs, and I'm like, we're gonna watch Leatherface. So I'm watching Leatherface, and and this this <laughs> happens at 4:45. Uh, I'm, I'm sure around there because I'm I'm sipping my coffee, and I'm like, am I having one of those 4 a.m. I'm dreaming, but I'm awake, and I'm watching this this leather face character trying to spell clown, but keeps putting food in. And this is going on for five minutes. I literally had to stop and walk around the room for a second just to make sure I hadn't fallen asleep. Um, <laughs> and then went back to it. And I'm like, Nope, this, this is actually in the movie and I'm sure and it keeps going. Yeah. It goes, it goes it on. Goes. And on. I'm like, is this supposed to be the funny, like dark humor? Like they're trying to pull some of it from Texas chainsaw massacre too. No, I think they were trying to humanize him here's the thing. And, and this is why I asked that question, Sammy is at the core, this film, I, I mean, all of its bones are right there. This is what the movie is. Part of those bones are this speak and spell five minute sequence. And to me, it doesn't, it's not the editing. It's not the lack of gore. It's not the 20 minutes that are in some trash can somewhere or Bill Burr's vision. Bill Burr's vision was crap from the start because if this oh. is, not Bill Burr. That'd be Jeff Burr. Oh, sorry, Jeff Burr. It, it, <laughs> Bill Burr's Texas Chainsaw Master. Would be <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Jeff Burr's vision was junk to start with because yeah, if probably. if this is the core of your film, <laughs> now I'm just imagining Bill Burr. This movie. I'm sorry. I, I kind of would like to see that film, but Jeff Burr's vision uh, it was broke right out of the gate, and I really don't even think it was Jeff Burr's vision. I think it was Shay uh, and New Line Cinema's vision of what they wanted. Yeah. And what they were trying to deliver here um, because they were putting out Nightmare on Elm Street 5. So they were just trying to find another money franchise. Uh-huh. Um, I totally and, believe that. I totally believe that because, you know, Nightmare made them a ton of money. Yeah. I mean, it's what's the the, the studio that Freddie built. So, yeah. And Bob J was always trying to make it more than that. <laughs> he it was is. never satisfied with it being just Nightmare. There's so many. I mean, Paramount's done the same thing. Paramount. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they made a ton of Friday 13th movies and they just won't talk about them. Yeah. No, I get it. But I mean, that that's the problem to me is that sequence in and of itself just highlights that at the core, you, you see the core of this film, um, your character development in this film, the, this is how inept the screenwriter and director are. They do try and show you something versus tell you something about character development. Um, you refer to it as Chekhov's rock. I mean, that's is that's that's where it goes on this. She can't kill an armadillo with a rock, but she can bash Leatherface's head in with a rock. And at that at stage, you're movie. like, oh, she's grown. We're all we're all very proud of her as a final girl. Um, it's just dumb. But I I just I think 
I don't know. I, I get so disappointed with this franchise because out of all of the horror franchises that are out there, this is one I keep waiting for somebody to come along and go, I'm going to make a really good fit. Like this franchise is just prime picking to make some really interesting social commentary with some really transgressive cinema and throw everybody for a loop. And, you know, for people to come back to and just say, wow, the first layer is really good storytelling. Take it another layer. And then you've got this social commentary in the have and have nots. And, um, you know, what's going on with, with this part of society versus, you know, coming into contact with this other part of society, you could say some interesting stuff with that. And I just don't understand why studios or even good filmmakers don't look at this and go, Hey, I can do something with that property. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's just, I think there's a, a stain in Hollywood. You think about all the filmmakers that have made movies, Texas chainsaw movies. I don't know if any of them have went on to make anything great. Or, I mean, Toby Hooper's really the only one that ever had any real success. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Marcus, yeah. I guess Marcus Nispel had a little bit of success. He yeah. did the film and he did the uh, Pathfinder movie. But find, find a writer or director outside of the U.S. that is looking. I, I, we've talked about this well, before. I think it's what they, that's what they did with their last film, wasn't it? I, I think so. And that's why I kind of got excited is I'm always, I, I, I love it when an, an international uh, screenwriter, director, kind of takes an American product or is looking yeah. at an American product and sort of adds their outside of the U.S. you know view to yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I would love for them to do that, but not just from a traditional slasher film. Um, I think the Leatherface movie from 17 was directed by two French guys, I think. I want to say it yeah, they've, was. They've, they've tried to use uh, up-and-coming directors on all of those films. Yeah. And... Um, this this most recent one would be the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Um, that one and the Marcus and Spell one that really show any real promise. I, I think Marcus and Spell is actually talented, but mm-hmm. he uh, has not made the greatest films. I do like his Conan film, and um, yeah. for the record, uh, I'm one of the few people probably who do. Like that, <laughs> no, I, I I enjoy that one. I just I just I wish I, I, this is. Uh, <laughs> Because I, I remember seeing this in the theater, and I'm I'm just like, man, I forgot how boring this is, and uh, it it really shouldn't be. I mean, there's yeah. there's the ability for really good scares, uh, and and really nuanced filmmaking in this franchise, and nobody's taking advantage of it. Well, Jonathan Leavesden made one of them, so he's one of made. He made one of those new Ninja Turtle movies. So Troy does like him. I do really like the new ninja he's south movies. african though and uh, that's what i'm saying they usually get these act these directors from other countries to kind of reinterpret this material that seems to be like a rite of passage in hollywood almost yeah but hollywood needs to look at this and go you know uh i, I think i heard you talk about this at one point it might have been when you were talking about the text chainsaw massacre one and two because i think it was you who made this comment and always thought about it like the first film even the second one it's not slasher material it's something different. Uh-huh. And when they go after this property in that vein, I think it it really resonates or has more success in terms of entertainment. But when you when you put Leatherface front and center and go, we're doing a slasher film, right out of the gate, I think it's a mistake. Well, the other problem with Leatherface, let's get let's get a bit philosophical here. Okay. Here's the other problem with Leatherface, his weapon of choice 
is not very stealth like. True. No. Uh, so that's a big problem for a slasher. Really, if you think about slasher movies, they're just boogeyman movies or they're Pepe Le Pew moments, right? They're just <laughs> guys that are unstoppable yeah. forces. You know, Pepe Le Pew, uh, for those who don't know of, uh, of generations, I mean, the, the rapist skunk. Yeah, he got canceled. Uh, I don't know if you got the memo, but they probably we're not supposed to talk about him anymore. Yeah, that's right. He's, he's been canceled. <laughs> he's been canceled. But you can never stop him, right? Yep. I mean, he and it was no matter how fast the cat would run, Pepe Le Pew would bloom, 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 bloom. He'd just be hopping along. And that's the way Jason's always been. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Myers has always been. And Freddie's always been. Freddie had the benefit of actually being within your dreams. So he could kind of he almost had like a Star Trek kind of transporter quality to him, which is another level. But if you think about Michael Myers and Freddie, or Michael Myers and uh, Jason Voorhees, they're really just these unstuck. They never run. Have we ever seen those guys run? I think in the new Friday the 13th, the reboot they did in 2009, yeah. I think he ran a little bit. He ran and he had tunnels. Yeah, he had tunnels. He had a, he had a layer. He had a back cave. Yeah. But the, the problem with Leatherface is he can't really be a truly a slasher character because he doesn't, his, his weapon of choice, he's never going to be able to hide. He's always going to be, you know, he's behind you. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my God, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. Which can be scary. So I have that. It's definitely scary. Chainsaws are inherently scary. I think we all can agree with that. I've seen Troy run pretty fast when we went to a a haunted house. Oh, dude. Yeah. When you've ever been around a chainsaw, they are an intimidating piece of machinery. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, they let, literally can cut through you in no time. I, I've I, seen them cut through big trees before. I agree with you. Like Leatherface should be this force of nature that it's really hard to reckon with in that it feels like an unstoppable just well, momentum coming at you. And that's where the scares are. Like something so big and so dangerous, not stealth-like, but, but coming at you, I think that can be intimidating and scary. But yeah, but try to put him like stalking the final girl. It just doesn't work. I think the reason why part one and part two work is because it's not just Leatherface. It's Leatherface's menagerie. It's his family. Yeah. That makes Leatherface scary. Um, Basically baiting people and bringing them to him to prep them for meals and things like that. Once you make Leatherface go out and do the hunting, which is what they do here. It complicates things quite a bit. I don't know why, but it just doesn't work. It didn't work in the Andrew Bosnarski's films uh, outside of the Marcus Dispelwin. Because the Marcus Dispelwin, again, Arlie Ermey and all these other people are, are baiting people and sucking them in and kidnapping them. And that's where the real horror is. And then you think, well, that's terrible to be kidnapped or to be molested or raped or by these rednecks and all this other craziness. But, hey, we got one step further for you. By the way, our one crazy cousin here. He, he cooks people. So that's where the fear is. So what the problem with this one is, is that they make him the stalker character and he never truly. Yeah, he wasn't designed that way. Yeah, he'll never be that. He's this behemoth. I think it's monster. It, Square peg round hole sort of deal with him. Well, I'll, I'll so since Brad loves Rob Zombie so much, I think that's what Rob Zombie understood about the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre. If you think about a house of a thousand corpses, and what was the character at the very end, Doctor Death or something like that? Oh, it's, it's it's Doctor Satan. Doctor Satan, sorry, uh, it's he, a it's a subtle name. Yes, he doesn't show up until you know the very last part of the film. But it yeah. is all about this family terrorizing you know these visitors, and then once they get a hold of the visitors, 
then you're introduced to Dr. Satan and it works. It really, cause I, I just remember as soon as that character shows up, it's like, okay, you're screwed. What do you do at that point? That guy really got a PhD. I'm sure he does. Yeah. Uh, and Satanism. And Satanism. Yeah. But it, it, Leatherface, I agree with you hundred percent. Like that should be how Leatherface is used that you've got him as this just force that can't be reckoned with. And when you get to that point within whatever your trials and tribulations are, I, I mean, you're done for like that. It, and how effective is that sequence in the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre where they open the door and he's standing there and then cleaver to the head or meet whatever, um, to well, that I, I mean, the reason why that works is because Leatherface is as shocked as the person who shows up there. Yeah. Leatherface doesn't expect somebody to be in his house. But he's not chasing somebody. It's. Yeah. No, they walked into him yeah. and terrified him as well. And he reacted by hitting somebody with a hammer. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just think that that's the Leatherface is this. He's almost like this giant maw of a, it's like this giant mouth in the middle of like, like a big sea creature. <laughs> and these tentacles are, are all his family and they're all just kind of, they're just kind of pulling stuff toward that. Yeah. And I, I don't know what the right approach to make it really work is, but maybe just urban legend and myth. And if somebody can really get a hold of some, you know, if some director can really come along with some really good kind of like, not, not like Bigfoot cryptid type stuff, but like this, you could use the Leatherface character as this all-knowing, or not not all-knowing. I don't want to feel Hannibal Lecter behind the scenes or something, but you know what I mean. Like this, you know, you work toward this giant monstrosity of a man, and it probably works better. But it's never, it doesn't even work in the first film. When Leatherface gets out of the house and he's chasing the girl, he looks like he's going to fall down the whole time. <laughs> well, and then yeah. he literally cuts uh, almost cuts his own leg off because he's yeah, yeah. like he's like kind of cumbersome and and, yeah. and not really good at the chase. Look at him, and you can tell I mean, yeah. he wouldn't be good. All he does is eat chili and sit in a bone a room full of chicken bones. <laughs> does he sit on the bone? Which is, is fine. I mean, it's it's the myth of leather. <laughs> <laughs> the bone throne. It's uh, it's the myth of it. It's the myth of the families, the myth of the atrocities that should always be present um, to ratchet up the scares. And it, I just don't. Well, nobody gets I, it right again, until. I, I, I think that's the problem with this film too, though. I yeah. think the family, the casting of the family is fine. It's just I don't think they ever really give the family any moments. Vigo Mortensen, uh, again, everything that could have been interesting about him, it must have been cut or something, and. The other kind of redneck brother, he seems like he could be a lot of fun, but you spend like five minutes with him. Mm-hmm. The mom, she—I don't even remember—I don't even hardly remember anything she says in the movie. Well, it's, she's talking out of the voice the box. box. Yeah. yeah, the voice box. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. But I—I yeah. I, I still don't remember it. I still—it's still not grotesque enough to remember. Well, yeah. Even then, you, let's say that there's something on the cutting room floor, whatever it is, it's going to be boring because Burr as a director isn't getting anything out of his performances. Yeah. So I can't imagine there's much for him to do with the actors. And I'm sure the screenplay uh, really doesn't ratchet anything up for it to be weird or creepy or even gross. So kind of fitting that there's a death angel song in this movie called bored. Yeah. Can we talk about the, the music too, Troy? Cause I know you like fart metal. So I love fart metal, th- fart rock what specifically. Of, what, what do you, what do you think about fart obsession? Metal. I is that one of the bands that's in this? Don't you know Obsession, Troy? I uh, I feel that this music is as boring as the film. <laughs> yeah, I like this song right here. I, I, I'll see if your listeners can hear it. Hang on, I'm trying to. No, I don't think you can hear it. Damn it. Mm. No, I. Uh, well, if you played it for him, they'd all fall asleep. 
So no, not 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 this one song. No, I. <laughs> I'm positive on that. I hear my son behind me here, but uh, I'm going to play it. Go ahead, keep talking, George. Oh no, I just it's it's interesting these '90s films um, from a soundtrack perspective. Uh, I think they were trying to put a lot of thought into it, and I was that was that the thing like you get a '90s horror film with a awesome cool soundtrack and the sound well, it was it was a thing and you tried to do whatever you could and there was that time when they were trying to put metal bands and stuff in it. they kind of missed the thrash boom they tried to get it in there well here i think i can play this song now there it is yeah that's a great riff there we go yeah <laughs> I, it, nothing's coming through <laughs> yeah. sammy's oh, enjoying fine. it uh, but your your inside I mean <laughs> Death Angel Wrath, Hurricane, SGM, Sacred Reich, Utter Lunacy, that Laws wasted, Rocket. Wasted Youth is good. Obsessions. Uh, Laws Rocket had a few good songs. Uh Leatherface is the th- song here. It's not a good song, but uh Yeah, they're they, okay. They I, came in. I just I, I feel like dude, if you wanted the yacht rock of that's not this isn't yacht rock, man. This is this uh, is the yacht rock version of uh, this, this genre. Is, this is the schooner rock. This is the fishing boat rock. The fish, the pont. Okay, if you wanted the pontoon rock, yeah, pontoon rock, yeah, <laughs> of heavy metal. Yeah. This is it right here. This soundtrack. <laughs> uh, no, I like, like I said, I'll rip for a couple songs on it, but uh, that's just me. Well, We've if I'm on my pontoon, like, yes, I would listen to this soundtrack. We've almost talked about. Uh, this movie chase all three movie. longer than the actual runtime, so I think we need to <laughs> wrap it up. Okay, well, I mean, I, I think you know, you guys bring up interesting points though, because I think this is a franchise that, as and Troy's probably most valid point of all, is that it's always held promise, and it seems like we had talked behind the scenes about another franchise, maybe pound for pound being the worst. This one comes close. Uh, outside of I think three films. This yeah. one come close. Nothing beats the Amityville franchise. Um, well, I don't. I don't. So I, I listened to your episode on that. Obviously, we talk behind the scenes. Anybody yes. that doesn't know that's be stupid. And I'm staying the night at your house in two days. So, <laughs> but that that whole thing's a whole other train wreck because you could just throw Amityville on everything. Oh, right? I know. Yeah, I, I guess if you're talking like true dedicated franchises, this yeah. this isn't the worst one, but it's probably second cont- to worst it can be a contender it's a contender uh but it's got it's got two really good highs maybe two other films that are eh, and the rest of it are, are just it's a visual nyquil in my opinion yeah i think it's got two good, highs and, two good highs and a solid reboot yeah that's what this one's out and 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 a decent streamer toward the back end this all sounds again innuendo very uh <laughs> <laughs> got a nice reboot and he's got he and he's a good streamer you know what i'm saying <laughs> wow <laughs> well uh, brad's right we've talked on this one way too long so i'm gonna start with you sammy we just spent uh more time on this film than the film length in total uh is leatherface texas chainsaw massacre 3 from 1990 is it a bomb it is a bomb um but I, it doesn't mean i don't like it I, I still like it a little bit. I don't dislike it as much as you and Brad, I think. I think I have a softer spot for it. But I do. I will say on this rewatch, I really felt it more than any other watch I've had. And maybe that's because this time I was actually looking at it critically. Mm-hmm. And looking at it critically, 
it, it's very sloppy and very uh I don't know what it is. It's it's just kind of laying there. It's kind of like that armadillo with the earrings. Yeah. And I needed uh Chekhov's rock <laughs> on my head. Yeah. But uh, I I still have a sweet spot for it, but don't get me wrong. It's definitely a bomb and I can see why it's kind of known as one of the worst. I don't think it's the worst film in the series, but it's one of the worst. Okay. What about you, Brad? Is uh, 1990s Leatherface Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 a bomb? Uh, yeah. So if you wanted to fit into this movie, what you would do, Troy, when you edit this episode is you'll ask Sammy, and then I would go, and then Sammy would go. You'd like mess up the order, like editing-wise, because that's kind of what happens in this movie, because um, oh, the editing is all messed up. But um, yeah, it's a bomb, and it's it's so boring and bland and i mean that's not what you want from a texas chainsaw massacre movie like that's the worst thing you can be as a boring horror film because then you're just like you're not memorable ryan is the worst character ever so yeah i, I, I feel but like yeah, we should just give a, him it's the, an absolute bomb yeah. yeah uh man you say that brad and it's like the title of the film is leatherface so leatherface texas chainsaw massacre and it's the third one you're like wow this this thing should just assault all the senses. And in fact, it just bores you to tears. Uh, it's, yeah. it's such a bomb does not live up to the name at all. The best thing about this movie was the teaser trailer. They didn't like lean into that at all, which they no. shot even before they had yeah. the director, probably a screenplay. I mean, I mean, I, I'm telling you, if, if this movie leans into the ridiculousness of that teaser and the skin truck and, and all that stuff, it's a better movie. But yeah. uh, they, I think, Burr or somebody wanted to make a more serious horror film and what you become away from is this kind of droll kind of meandering 80 minute opus <laughs> well let's let's hope Bill Burr does make a Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> movie <laughs> that, that I would will definitely see ladies yeah. so I don't, I don't. it's almost uh, as good as Raymond Raymond Burr's Texas Chainsaw Massacre so yeah no, that'd be good uh, Sammy, what's going on at the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema? Wow, a Raymond person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good times. Halloween films. We did a couple of uh, Stephen King joints, so we did a couple of popular films. And then, of course, you know, one of the things about our show is we love to cover films that nobody... We don't always do this, but we do enjoy kind of bringing films to the forefront that nobody ever... It's my favorite thing. About. Yep. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're a film buff, you want to see things, right, mm -hmm. that you don't know anything about. So we're doing a French film from 1982 called Litan, which is kind of a a little bit of a kind of French uh, wicker man, but only in spirit. Really, really, the film's kind of unexplainable. I'll just say that right off the bat. Okay. And then we're doing a Chinese film, a Chinese horror film, a uh, little underseen maybe, but some folks may have seen it, I don't know, called Devil Returns. Oh. Uh, we're doing that the week of Halloween, so or the week after Halloween. I can't remember what it is. But anyway, we tried to get four in, but I don't think we timed it right. But either way, that's what you got. And both of those are from 82 for the record. Nice. See, th those are the type of deep cuts that I always really enjoy. I, I mean, I love it when you guys talk about uh, more recent cult films, but when you start kind of dragging those out, um, yeah. I half, half the fun is just finding good prints of those things and then watching yeah. them. And I, and I got to say, even... Even when you guys review them and are like, eh, it's okay, or you don't like it, I still track those down because they just sound so unique and, and original. Yeah, it can be tough reviewing them sometimes because sometimes we have to watch very bootleg copies of them. Mm -hmm. uh, Devil Returns, I don't think, 
that I'm aware of has an official release. I know it doesn't have one in the States. Not that I'm aware of, but. That's good for download numbers, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not good <laughs> if Lee, Lee Tan does either. Uh, so, I, I, you know, it is what it is, but uh, it's also part of the kind of gist of the show, right, is to champion these things and get them out there. Uh, and uh, hopefully labels, especially these boutique labels, will go look at these and get them out. Nice. Uh, Brad, I guess technically this week was my pick, and we're done with spooky movies. We've got a theme for November, but we're taking a break between themes, right? To squeeze yeah, something we, in. Yeah, we, 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 someone reached out to us and really wanted to be on the show and said, hey, I want to bring this movie on there and talk to you. So, yeah, we're, we're doing 2015's Tomorrowland um, because Disney made a bunch of money off of Pirates of the Caribbean. So they wanted to do Tomorrowland. So they <laughs> yeah. uh, tried that. Um, yeah. And then for November, we have another sort of theme and that theme would be like prestige movies so that's all i'll I'll give you for now but yeah yeah so check out tomorrowland it's directed by brad bird you might have heard of him he's been on the show before and it stars one george clooney and uh i predict that conversation about that film could get a little political actually (laughs) yes it's Brad Bird, so yes. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I've never seen the film, so I can't I can't say anything about it. Uh, but I, but every time I go to Disney, I, I I play this fun little game in my head where I'm like, can they make a movie out of this? <laughs> I bet you they can. If they did it out of Tomorrowland, they can make it out of yeah. a concession stand. I think at this point, <laughs> I, I will. This is this is what how big a nerds Troy and I are. Our friends Brett and Charlie, who have been on the show before, we used to do a sort of like a fantasy football s <laughs> summer um, release. Oh, we did. Bet. I remember this. So oh, we yeah, would yeah. everyone would kind of snake draft films, and you would get to see at the end of the summer whose films gross the most out of, out of the summer months. I believe one year I did take Tomorrowland, and uh, I did not win that year. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a bad year. Yeah, uh, bad year. Uh, yeah, I remember when Tomorrowland was being made, people were talking Oscars and everything. <laughs> it's just so funny to me now, now that I watched it again. Uh, Brad, you want to talk about some of the shows that people should check out? Yeah. So uh, Sammy is on one of those. That is a gentleman's guide to midnight cinema. We also have, let's see, the uh, uh, Watch Get Plus. We also have the... Uh, VHS files. We also have the mixtape podcast, the backlook cinema podcast and iron sequel. Uh, and then night of living podcast. So go check out all those shows. If you go to our website, um, you can find the friends of our show link up at the top. Um, please do us a favor. Check those guys out. Leave them reviews. Look, there's like 7 million podcasts out there. That's like not an exaggeration. Yeah. Um, and you know, the best thing you can do sometimes is just share um, what you like and what you don't like. And um, look, if you listen to our show and don't like us, let us know and we'll we'll work on it. And if you do like it, leave us a review wherever you listen. Yeah. Five stars would be preferable in all caps like uh, people do on Amazon, please. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> With no punctuation. No punctuation. Yeah. And you, nice. you can always send us in. Um, so as Brad talked about, Tomorrowland uh, actually came up from a couple of listeners and then we, we put it on the list and then we had this group kind of reach out to us and say, hey, we, we really like to talk about it with you guys. So we said, sure, why not? But 
Brad, if somebody wants to, I don't know, send us a film that we need to add for the 2023 list because we've been working on that. Man, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm telling you, the, the rest of the movies we have for this year and even going into January, I'm pretty stoked. But, you know, we're always looking for new requests. How do they get how do they get a hold of us? Yeah, that's notabompod at gmail.com. You can also go to our website, notabompodcast.com. Hit the contact us button. Leave us a suggestion or recommendation there. You can also do it on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We have all of those. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, Sammy, I'll see you in a couple of days, day and a half, something like that. Yeah, pretty much a day and a half. Yeah, I'm excited, Brad. I wish I wish you, you got I all know. like responsibilities and work. And- hey, Brad, I I've been there. I know, I know. Where you're at, and I'll be there again. <laughs> we'll be we'll be FaceTiming you at many you better. parts during the day, so don't worry about that. You're better, uh, folks. Thank you for listening. Thanks for playing along this Halloween season. I hope you get lots of treats, no tricks. Check out all the shows Brad talked about. Come back next week. We're going to talk about Tomorrowland, another Disney bomb. And uh, I promise it's going to be an interesting conversation. So if you, if you want to play along, do a little research on Tomorrowland and specifically do a little research um, on the politics of Tomorrowland. There's some crazy stuff out there, and we're going to get into it a little bit. So uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a super interesting episode. But again, Thank you for listening, and uh, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Have an awesome day. Have an awesome week. Have a very spooky Halloween. We'll catch you next week. Hey, make room for daddy. Hey, Gigi. <laughs> Just had to do it. <laughs> you ever heard of pizza? <laughs>